This podcast is all about class. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. We've classed it up since the last time you were here. <laughs> uh, well, it'll class up from here. It just kind of has to. Oh, you're making assumptions, sir. Assumptions that are no, by no means going to become realities. Yo. Head up, think fast. You're about to feel the blast. It's the dopest podcast on the net. Oh, yeah. All us geeks, fresh your bet. We round the world, we round the net. So get ready and get set. Cause we make it look easy, no sweat. Jeff and Jordan, the host. Yeah, they be the best. From the north to the south, to the east, to the west. They cover movies, comics, TV shows, books. These guys gonna get you hooked. Don't stop now, just take a look. And don't forget to sign our Facebook. Cause what they doing is board games, video games, yeah, they on it. They fly like a comet, interviews is up. This podcast is pure. Give voice to your inner geek, that's for sure. Geek out any topic, no one ain't gonna ever, ever stop it. So if you wanna go and get it on, then head to allisgeeks.com. Welcome to episode 34 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. I'm Jordan Stenhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. Welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us again. All Us Geeks, the only podcasts that make you continually ask yourself, listener, why are you hitting yourself? Why? Why Why do you keep hitting yourself? Why? Shut it. It's a day. <laughs> uh, with us again is Don. Don, why are you hitting yourself? Because I'm listening to this podcast. That yes. That is unfortunate. You're listening to it live. Gets to hear all the shit that gets cut out. <laughs> that half hour that nobody else ever has to uh, listen to, dies suffering we, through we it. We put out a clip up for December 31st. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you going to edit that? No editing, man. Just throw it no, all out there. We, <laughs> Put the explicit tag on. It's not there. really. A, We're good. It's not really a clip app though. Is well, <laughs> that's like here's the entire last year in one sitting raw clip, raw footage. Well, I just meant everything that you cut. Yeah, it's not like I keep a cut file. I keep the raw start. <laughs> Shut it. Start. Shut it. This was a golden How? idea that you just pissed on. <laughs> I said you could edit it. Golden. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a little wet outside. All right, like we said last time, December 17th, we are going to be recording our end-of-year episode. We're going to do the wrap-up, so we're looking, of course, for your favorite moments. Emails have been coming in. We've got a voicemail. Got some people hitting us up on Twitter and Facebook, all that good stuff. So uh, we would love to hear from you as well. Let us know what your favorite moments were from the last year. And, of course, we were looking for a uh, response to Because of All Us Geeks, blank. You don't have to keep it clean. We don't care. <laughs> and the other question we were asking is, how do we interact with your life? And again, might be disturbing, but you don't have to keep it clean. <laughs> Those can all be filtered straight to Jordan. <laughs> Jordan at allusgeeks.com. <laughs> so, again, uh, you can send that the podcast at allusgeeks.com, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Or we've got one voicemail. Why don't you give us a few more so Mike doesn't feel lonely out there? Hey, Mike. One nine five two two three six geek. That's one nine five two two three six four three three five. 
And that number also is connected to our Skype account, which is All Us Geeks, one word. So we are looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Get those in before December 17th, and we will talk about them and share them on the episode. Do you have a geeking out topic for us, though? Yes, please. No, what? No, no. No, no. No, no. no uh-uh. What? Nothing. Uh, Continue. Let's hear it. What's no. our geeking out topic? No, dude, if you hold it in, <laughs> I'm around when you blow up. So <laughs> this is this is, this is is a friendly zone. This is a safe zone. This is a safe zone. <laughs> it is. I feel very safe here. Two friends are here to protect yeah, me from yeah. the big bad outside world. Show me on the bottle where they touched you. <laughs> <sighs> this one, uh, I kind of got a little inspiration off of Twitter. Uh, Laura on Twitter, she goes by, and this is D-R-M-R-S, so Dr. Mrs. The Awesome, one of our Twitter followers. And this came about because uh, one of her comments was uh, s- that somebody recently told her she was, <laughs> what? Oh, this is not the one of the... No, 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 this is... This is not that well, conversation. I can see where that might be offensive. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not having that conversation on air. Woo! <laughs> Some, somebody had uh, told her that she was uh, getting to an age where it is inappropriate for her to be wearing Batman socks. So I said... Uh, I plan on being buried in something... Well, <laughs> burned in something superhero. I, uh, I told her, I said, is whoever was giving you that advice is somebody I don't know I want to know. I don't know if I want to know. So that may, had me kind of thinking uh, we could have a little conversation around, is there an age or a threshold level where uh, we need to tone down our geekiness? What do you think, Don, as our guest? When I see Wrong. old fat guys dressed up as Sailor Moon... <laughs> I, I maybe draw a line, but usually I'm pretty open. I'm going to go with Don on that. Not specifically Sailor Moon, but I'm just going to say, going back to our Gen Con discussion, age, size, doesn't matter. Just know your body. <laughs> no, no, there's no reason. There's, don't don't be judged. Who cares? Yeah, that's how that's how I feel. I mean, I'm uh, like I'm in my 40s. I don't know if there's too many things in my closet right now that isn't geek-related. I have a hard time finding something appropriate to wear anywhere right now. And I know, you know, I started thinking about this. I'm like, well, the three of us are going to be in the room, and I'm asking the three of us. I don't know if we're necessarily the right people. Because we've been to Don's house, first of all. (laughs) We know Don lets his geekiness fly, like, throughout his entire house. I live alone. I'm no, free to do that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. And hey, I used to have cube decorations when I actually had to interact with people. <laughs> I was not ashamed of it. I did too. I up until actually very recently, I had a few of the uh, gamers reunion images all across my cube from the different years, and I just recently took those down. Sad. <laughs> I know Megan has talked about it when it was when Megan and Sarah kind of took over, but she kind of feels like her younger years she wasn't allowed to be geeky so now she kind of can let it fly because we're together obviously i don't care (laughs) and so i don't think there you know i i feel the same way you know i I waited until my late 30s before i got my first tattoo they're almost all my tattoos are geeky and i have several more that i'm going to get i don't think there's i don't think there's a reason to tone that kind of stuff down if you enjoy it, if I mean, it's it's one of the many things that kind of keeps you active, potentially keeps you 
engaged, keeps keeps you interactive. I think one of the things I really liked about when we first started doing like Rochester Gamers Community type stuff was the first time I realized we're kind of sitting around a table gaming with people and it was like from 15 to 50 retail workers to doctors and lawyers and all that kind of, I mean, there's, it's something that brings a lot of different people together. And again, it's 15 to 50. There's no reason in there. I, I don't think Dave gives a care in the world, you know, that anybody knows he's into historical miniatures and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's awesome. Putting an age restriction on when you're allowed to be a geek and when not is simply just bizarre to me. Yeah. If you even look at this stuff, it's not even like it's targeted at little kids, right? I mean, the latest Batman films, were they targeted at three-year-olds? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, the, oh, the target audience. I thought you meant the content. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Calm down over there. Yeah, this wasn't meant to rage. You know, I, I totally agree. Even s- simple things like socks, underwear, and neckties are excellent ways of letting your your geek show. If you are, especially if you are no, in, no, don't let your underwear show your geekness. Not <laughs> openly. <laughs> okay, even if that's just a little private rebellion to the corporate world, you know. <laughs> I actually just saw today somebody was sharing like horror related underwear because that's where I no, was at. No, so, and, okay. <laughs> well, no, but no, because you were on something else as well, like horror related gift items. And they showed a really cool green Frankenstein's monster tie. And I thought, that is awesome. I want that. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. It's like, and, and I don't wear, I, I wear like pattern type ties when I have to, but I don't wear anything with like an image or anything on it. But I was like, I would totally wear that to work. <laughs> it was just the coolest little thing. And, and again, and I didn't know other people, you know, people wear like Christmas ties that play music and all that other crap. Yeah, but they should and, be slapped. I, I any la- <laughs> any level of clothing other than suddenly, underwear suddenly that judgment makes noise. yes judgment judgment is coming no. Christmas is fine clothing is not musical you want to wear a Santa tie I'm all for it I like Santa I'm a jolly fat man myself <laughs> wait a minute wait 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 there might be at least one word you need to take out of that sentence. <laughs> Okay, I'm a fat man, you bastard. I'm just trying to be seasonal. Screw you, you bald-headed bastard. We've lost it. Our own jolly Oscar grouch. Yeah. yeah. I am not coming to you for what I want for Christmas, my friend. Oh, you won't get it from me. I know. You will get something. Dirt in a box. <laughs> um, I'm just saying. I don't care what you wear in your necktie. But if you've got a Green Lantern necktie and you press it and it starts to do the oath, well, oh my God, that's so awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Screw you. you are I, want, both, I want that necktie now. You are both 12 inch dicks, okay? <laughs> that is all. I wanted, I wanted to do the oath in Samuel L. Jackson's voice. <laughs> no. Just get, shout that get thing out. Get behind the Idris Elba train. I could see that. I could be all right. Well, didn't you too. see the promo posters? For somebody put together a fan oh, for him as how for as, uh, for him Stewart? as John Stewart, yeah. yeah. And then he took it and added Photoshop better to be a better version of him, nice. and then reposted it. Idris Elba see, for those. That how didn't. could you? How could you not like that man? <laughs> he is awesome. He's everything that I wanted to be when I was growing up. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Jolly. <laughs> I don't know him personally. He certainly smiles a lot. <laughs> Still want that tie. <laughs> That'd be an awesome tie. I don't, I don't know what your problem is. 
if it's push a button, yeah, if it's just like screaming all the time to stop on and so on, that would get annoying. I, I'll give you that. Yeah, but we got a guy. There's a guy at work that wears one of those every year, and it is push a button, plays the high pitched like jingle bells or something. That's like two pitches too high. <laughs> get the dogs going, yeah, and he's constantly pushing it. Or pretending he's like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't know how that happened. No, I, uh, no you do, jackass. You do. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine in college, she had a pair of musical panties, <laughs> Christmas panties, played some sort of carol, mm-hmm. and after the initial novelty of it wore off, again, very much, you know, <laughs> how did that happen, and why are my underwear singing? <laughs> it's not funny anymore. All right, so bottom line is, there's no age. Let your geek flag fly, do no it, matter the rocket. age. Don, which section do you want to do first? Your lecture to us uh, lesser beings or the review? We'll do one before the our game review and one after. Okay, I'll do the lecture part of it. Then. Okay. I feel like a professor right now. Uncle Don, what do we need to learn this week? Before I get into that, I'd like to go over just a couple oh, things. Crap. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> I do this every time. You just don't listen. Uh, just talk about a few things. First of all, we're well into the fall season of anime right now. Fall 2013. Uh, the biggest name out there right now is Kill la Kill, which is done by the same creative staff as Gurren Lagan. So it drew a lot of attention. Uh, other ones getting a lot of chatter, Golden Time and Log Horizon. A lot of stuff going on. There's uh, Some look really good, some look really bad. It's kind of a, a mixed season this time. Talking about some of the things that I talked about last time. Uh, Funimation site last time, I complained about how slow it was. They did a major site overhaul, and it is vastly better. Like the stuff actually plays, I can I can find stuff quickly. Their their drop downs are far superior. Yes, you saw that. Yeah. Oh, they're so much better. It, a huge, huge improvement. And I don't know what they did on the back end, but their search actually kind of works better now. Yes, too. yes. So uh, great for them. Um, Neon Alley, that crazy streaming channel. That's. Not a streaming site, but you get it on your PlayStation 3, and you can only watch whatever they're streaming oh, at that right, moment. Yeah. That crazy stuff. Well, they changed up what they're doing a little bit. Um, now you can get it on your PC as well. And now they'll have ep- episodes on there longer, as in you can watch the episodes for a whole week, stream any time. And after a week, then they take them off. So it's an improvement. It's still <laughs> a far cry from what everybody else is doing in the industry. But better, I guess. At least I don't have to be up at 2 a.m. on whatever night just to see the one show I want to see. You are, anyway. If you were a real fan. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Vicky.com. I questioned its validity last time. It it seems to be valid. And their claim that they sold stuff to Hulu. Yeah, no. I'm pretty sure uh, that it's a legal thing. And they did sell some subtitle streams to Hulu.com. I verified that when I watched Don Dracula. I went and compared the two because I was watching on a Hulu thinking, what in the... Ser- Vicky sucks. Just straight up. <laughs> if you can watch something anywhere else, do it. It's very clear how amateurish the subtitle streams are. To the point of it can be <laughs> difficult Poop. to watch. It's not that childish. <laughs> you said childish. Amateurish. You said Amateurish. Yeah. I don't know how good... Much it- like our podcast. Fair enough. Yes. 
Fair enough. Not knowing the Japanese language, I can't really comment on how good their mastery of the Japanese language is. I just hope it's better than their mastery of the English language. <laughs> uh, what was my favorite line? Uh, Don't mind my business. Like, I know what you're saying. You just got the idiom wrong. You know, it, it's it's all stuff like that and. There's huge swatches of episodes where I don't even really know what they're talking about. This is too jumbled and confusing. And that was one of the streams that they sold to Hulu. Watching mm-hmm. Don Dracula, watch the second episode of that, and you'll be just stunned. At <laughs> I don't think I will. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's it's amazing to watch. And I'm looking at it thinking this looks bad on Hulu. I, I hope they learned their lesson about buying from these guys. AnimeSouls.com, the um, cross-streaming site slash uh, crowdfunding site that they have going. That they had a little bit of successes last time. They got a, a couple more successes. The second set of Creamy Mommy actually passed in its final minutes. It needed, have you got your initial uh hasn't come yet. yet. They haven't sent any actual material yet, though they've shown some pictures of it. <laughs> this is what you won't be getting this year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've got several Kickstarters like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen exactly what I'm never going to get. Heck, I have cool stuff pre-orders like that. <laughs> So they haven't actually proved that they will send anything yet, but I, I do have faith in that. The second set of Creamy Mommy, they needed 18000 squeaked out in the final minutes, and then they had this overtime thing where they run for a couple extra days that it got a bit more. So it got 19000 Just kidding. <laughs> Strange, right? <laughs> I, I looked at it, and I noticed that out of the 19000 4000 of that was donated by three people. Those couple were they the owners of? I I don't know who, but apparently they really wanted that bonus figurine that comes with that extra fourteen hundred dollars. All right, which you know, no no details, just a figurine, and that's about all you get for all that extra money. It's better than a printer, a coaster. So that's set two out of I think five. I'm, I'm hoping for the rest. And curiously, they actually got the third one already to pass. And this is one of the strangest things I've seen on a crowdfunding site ever. And Jeff, maybe you've seen something like this. Maybe you can explain it to me. They had a Black Friday weekend special. Any pledges made during that weekend counted double against the, the total. I put in forty dollars, only pay forty, but it counts as eighty against the total. Actually, I saw a few minis games this week that did a, a Black Friday and a Cyber Monday thing that your pledge got an extra ten or twenty percent. Yeah, I seen a couple things do that. Yeah, the, and this was the first time I had seen that, but I don't know how successful they were for minis. I'm sure that I mean the minis ones they, they probably were, but that just that seems counterintuitive to me. Isn't the whole idea that we need this much money to be- right? You need. I mean, you're shortchanging if, if yourself. If you're if you're doing. I mean, to me, what that tells me is you were already overcharging people, right? That's what it suggests. Right. That's that's what I would take away from that. Because really, if you're doing your project properly, you've calculated everything properly, and you've set your goals to what you need. And and there's there shouldn't be that kind of wiggle room to go. I can give you another 20, 30, 40, double. Double. You know, I mean, anything like, I mean, that's that's ridiculous to me. I'm sure it was very successful for the, especially the miniatures type stuff that have done that. But that, I, I to me, it, it's successful because that's your base consumer kind of going, I get more stuff and not realizing, no, you're actually just already being charged too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and it, it loses, I lost a lot of faith in this site because of that. I'm like, really? You can actually get away with doing that? Yeah. And of course, now someone donated fifteen hundred dollars again, which now comes for three thousand. That's a huge chunk of money gone, right? Yeah. It it rather surprised me. It seemed to kind of work. Well, most of us who had stepped in and pledged for whatever was running at the time canceled all our pledges and then repledged over the weekend to make them count yeah, double. Yeah, there you go. And There's there was that. no no rule against it. We were allowed to do that. Strangely, so creamy mommy set three already passed. 
probably only got half the money it needed, quotes, <laughs> but okay. And when I just checked my last credit card bill, something surprised me. There were a few charges on there I wasn't expecting. One, nine hundred. <laughs> None of those. Never leave that. Never leave that. <laughs> I always kind expect of stuff those. open when, uh, when Jordan's around. I learned that the hard way. Uh, some of these uh, things that they opened up just for this weekend, uh, funded, and they immediately charged me. Not charged me after three months when it comes to the end of it. But nope, click, lock it in place. <laughs> now, they still let people in their overtime um, get you know, char- get more, I guess. But uh, this is not the usual thing that I've seen anyone do. Well, you what? You were charged? I mean, it was technically over when you were charged? Uh it it wasn't well. Apparently, they declare it over the moment right. it, it hits the end, and then they go into overtime. The moment the, it hits the, moment, the funding, the moment it's the funding limit, and then they—that's well, bizarre too. I mean, so right. so if there's a time frame and it ends like five days early, or they fund five days early, it's like it's done, and here's an, a two-day overtime. Maybe overtime will last five days. Then oh, see. yeah, okay. They're really not clear on this stuff, yeah, but it's it, kind of bizarre. It rather surprised me that I couldn't say in a month cancel it or anything like that. It's suddenly boom charge. Yeah. Because that would suggest then too, if that you can't cancel, right? You can I mean, as long as it's not done, whatever done right. means. Which with say like Kickstarter, you can cancel up to it's either twenty four or 40, 48 hours. You can cancel even in that period as long as you're not the one that takes them out of funding if they've already funded. Ah, right. So to me, that that's where that is kind of bizarre, where it's like. You think you've got five more days, but it funds five days early, and they go, nope, you're locked in. Now, here's overtime. The 200 people that just tried to cancel before you, they all did it, but you're the one that's going to tip the iceberg. There's a lot of sites out there, you know, Kickstarter, for example, that have a model. Why aren't they following it? I don't understand that. Of course, then there's the other side of, I mean, Indiegogo. Have you ever used Indiegogo? No, I haven't. That's... It's all through PayPal, so you're charged immediately. And if it's not a flexible, if it's an all or nothing, you get refunded at the end. Well, it's more or less the same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Just a different approach to it. Right. It's not this completely different approach that Anime Soul seems but, to be doing. Yeah, the, the goofy thing with Indiegogo is that like you can't up your pledge. You have to basically like pledge again. Oh, because it's it's that's weird. you're done and yeah. it's in and you're paid. So Anime Souls also doesn't have you can. You can't just pick the the amount. You can only hit their set amounts. Oh, okay. For whatever reason. Oh, so you, you can't really do any type of add-on-y type stuff that, no. in that instance. And yeah. it can't be like, I'll give up an extra five bucks because I want to have this. No, it's like, no, i got to go up an extra 20 at least and get a poster or something. I'm, I'm not really happy with the, the extras that they give. Mm-hmm. You get $40 for a box set. Okay, makes sense. You go to $100, you get your name on the box or something like that. It's more than doubling of the price just for yeah. something very small. Well, you got a lot of letters in your name, though. I guess. <laughs> okay, so that that's uh, that fun. So let me actually get to my discussion topic here. What I promised for last time, which sort of ties into what I talked about last time as well, it's who's actually releasing stuff on DVD and Blu-ray these days. I'll say a little bit of a sorry to the uh, overseas folk. I know we have lots and lots of uh, international list- listeners, but I will be primarily focused on the U.S. market. The two. Well, you got to do some research into the state of the enemy in Ukraine. It's true. Not good. <laughs> I know that much. There's really only four major markets out there. Two big ones, of course, are Japan and the U.S. The two other sort of big ones are Australia and the U.K. Australia with Hanabi Entertainment, Manga Entertainment, Man Man Entertainment. Well, funny you mention that because Australia and U.K. keep beating out Canada lately for listeners. So you might want to research that. <laughs> uh, they are the two big other big ones. I know a little bit about them. 
in general, they follow uh, the U.S. pricing schemes and um, releases, and they use a lot of our dubs, for example. They'll pick up a show that was licensed here, buy the dub for their market. Damn it, I've j- I just had a massive desire to go hear, like, Ghost in the Shell with Australian accents. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be kind of cool, actually, I guess. <laughs> Uh, they do their own things that sometimes, though, I'm eternally jealous of Australia, for example, for getting My Ordinary Life, a.k.a. Joe, where it's lost on licensing hell here in the U.S. But for the most part, uh, their ma- markets follow the U.S. one. Now, the Japanese market is a lot more expensive and a lot more vicious than us blessed U.S. people. <laughs> uh, in Japan, you can expect two or three episodes on a disc, DVD or Blu-ray, and expect to pay for DVD over 7,000 yen. And around 8,500 yen for Blu-ray. Now, a yen is pretty close to the value of a penny. Fluctuates up and down, but I think last I looked, it was very close to the to a penny. So this is around seventy dollars for three, two or three episodes on DVD. Eighty-five dollars on Blu-ray. Here in the U.S., we'll get thirteen episodes on DVD for in the fifty-sixty dollar range, or Blu-rays is fifty-five to seventy range usually. That's thirteen. So uh, pricing is completely wildly different between here and there. And why it's kind of a big deal that uh, U.S. and Japan are in the same region for Blu-rays. So here in the U.S., back in the bubble days, it used to look very different uh, in the in- industry. ADV Films was huge. Jinyan Entertainment was the other big one. Bandai Entertainment was around. Central Park Media, all these guys. That, are, that whole list of them are gone now. All went away with the bubble bursting. So what does it look like now? Well, the one that most people think of when I think of uh, anime releases is Funimation. They're kind of the big guy in the block. They do... Some really nice-looking boxes, uh, a variety of titles. They do both Blu-rays and dubs all the time. Well, used to be. Uh, they get Blu-rays as much as they can, which is you know the big question with Japan and getting the rights and stuff like that. And when they do release it, they release DVD-Blu-ray combos as much as they can. So, well, there's a question I've got for you. You mentioned Blu-ray versus DVD. Do they have a different licensing model or, or something? Because you said they do Blu-rays when they can, but if not, they do DVD. Um, it's just a, a tech level. What, what's the difference? I'm not sure about all the licensing involved in it, but I, might, I know it is different, and it has to do with their contracts. And even if they are on the same license, the contract will, for example, forbid them from putting out something on Blu-ray. Or they'll do other things like uh, forbid it for a year, hmm. and after a year they can put it out, or um, a few other things like that. Well, is is some of that potentially because of the regioning? It's absolutely because right. of that. Because DVD, I mean, there it's separate the region regions. is separate from the, the Japanese region, where on the Blu-ray side they're together. So trying to sell something less expensive here, you know, right. like grab it on Amazon and ship it to me kind of thing. Reverse importing is um, a severe worry, if not an actual problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, our releases over here are good, and they even come with uh, dubs, subtitle streams, all that good stuff. So it... it it's a great thing to reverse import if they can, but that's why it's a big question about how to do it and why you're seeing some of these releases that are really expensive on Blu-ray, for example. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's several things that I've thought about grabbing, but mm-hmm. I tend to grab, if there is an, a DVD and a Blu-ray version, I want the Blu-ray version, Yep. and that stops me in my tracks a lot of times. And I've complained a couple of times about how expensive, yeah. Aniplex especially, um, these sometimes turn out to be. So it's a, it's a rather complicated rights issue. Back to Funimation. They just recently announced a show that has no dub, which is a first for Funimation as far as I know. Well, actually, uh, they, Ghost in the Shell Arise are going to do an early release with just the subtitles and then later put another release with a dub. But Oni Eye is actually getting um, just a Blu-ray release, actually, but no dub on it. 
So they're changing, seems like they're changing their, their model somewhat to uh, more of a tiered system of the bigger releases get dubs and then the, they'll do some smaller release, uh, more niche stuff with just subtitles like a lot of other companies are doing, which, you know, I wish everything had a dub, but if that's what it takes for me to get the show, then, you know, I'm happy for it. Moving on, when ADV Films broke up, there was a, they really broke up due to a, like uh, some legal issues and legally by getting rid of the name, they got out of a lot of issues and problems. And they split into, I think, five smaller companies and all had different focuses. I think one runs Anime Network, another one's their live action one. Two of them, I don't know why two, uh, ended up with their anime, um, Sentai Filmworks and Made in Japan. Sentai Filmworks is the by far the bigger of the two. In fact, I'm pretty sure they put out quite a bit more product than even Funimation does. They do a lot of stuff. They also do a mix of Blu-ray and dubs. Uh, it used to be that if it was a smaller show, it'd just be a DVD only and subtitles only. And their bigger shows would get a Blu-ray and a dub. But now they're mixing that up a little bit, too, where they're getting Blu-rays without dubs on them. And I've seen a little the other way, too, of dubs only on DVD. So I like the stuff that they do. Usually they strangely don't have a lot of presence at cons for some reason. But, man, do they pick up licenses like crazy. They're just nuts about that. Made in Japan is a much smaller of the two. And initially they were uh, really slow to get going, didn't have a lot of stuff. And it seemed to me that it was kind of like a really niche market, little stuff like some older fan service shows and stuff, which was fine. But very recently they've really stepped it up and picked up a lot more interesting material. Uh, Tokyo Magnitude 8.0, a, a fantastic drama that they recently picked up and put a Blu-ray and a dub for, really kind of showing that they are stepping into the big leagues and putting on some real good material. So I hope to see more from uh, their good side coming up as well. Viz Media is one from way back in the day. It's been around for a long time. They're still around, still doing stuff, still living heavily on their uh, big names like Naruto and Bleach. Uh, lately, they've gotten into this thing where they're doing exclusive licenses for shows, where they get a complete exclusive license not only for the home video market, but the streaming and merchandising and everything. Like, they own that show for the U.S. period. It's kind of their new thing. They did it with K, for example. So far, they're doing all dubs on everything, and they have for a long time, but... Um, still seem to be doing that, and especially now with their Neon Alley service, they're really pushing to, to dub everything they can. And they've been doing Blu-rays for a while, and just recently, K is going to get a DVD-Blu-ray combo release. Just I like those. It's nice to have the combo. So they're still strong, going fairly strong, it seems. Media Blasters, which we all thought was dead, seems to be coming back to life. They had some weird internal problem. I don't know the details. It's got something to do with someone from their company going to the Japanese companies and convincing them that Media Blasters was no longer a legal company. And they all pulled out and had all kinds of legal issues. And they had all kinds of problems convincing everyone that they're still a company. I, no, we have offices. Look! I, it's kind of a mess. And they're like sabotage or something. It was weird. But they're slowly coming back around, picking up a few smaller titles, putting some stuff out. I kind of question the stuff that they're putting out, like Real Rainbow Gate and Charger Girl Judenchan. I'm like, okay, if you want to. But it's good to see them back in the game and doing some stuff. Uh, no dubs yet or Blu-rays, but we'll see if they can get their feedback on the on the ground. Maybe, maybe someday they'll pick up Squid Girl Season 2 again. Please. You're laughing Sorry. at me. But no, that show I, I did. I did. Sorry. I, that I show is wonderful. <laughs> a few companies have come up ever since the bubble burst. Now, there's always been companies coming and going throughout. But a couple have grown since then Have are doing pretty well. NIS America is one of them. They do... These gorgeous premium edition releases, Blu-rays, these big box sets with lovely uh, artwork inside and all this stuff. Uh, fantastic, gorgeous premium releases. Plus, they have maybe a year later, so they come out with a regular edition for people that, unlike me, don't want to pay a lot of money. 
The one thing about those guys that always disappoints me is the lack of dubs. They, no dubs on anything. Sorry, I'm I'm laughing again because you just say you, you don't want to pay a lot of money, but the last time you were on, you were mentioning berating yourself for having paid $180 for like a one Blu-ray, a one disc set. <laughs> I'll pay a certain amount of money for a gorgeous premium edition release to pay for a maybe slightly better Blu-ray that costs $100 more. Like a over 150% more, it's getting kind of ridiculous. Here I'm paying for a, a gorgeous-looking release with an art book and all kinds of stuff. So these, well, they don't fit on a shelf for crap, but <laughs> they look fantastic. Another one that's come up is the one I was just hating on, Aniplex USA. They're the ones that do those really expensive Blu-rays, ones I bought. Sword Art on Online is another one I only bought the DVDs for because the Blu-rays are so expensive. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. I looked at those and I tried to get the library here to order them. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oof. The thing about those guys is that they pick up the really good shows, like Sword Art Online and Fade Zero and stuff like that. It shows that might actually convince me to pay that much. And I have, at least on the one occasion. So I love the stuff they put out almost across the board. And their box sets are really nice. Uh, they do dubs sometimes. Not for everything, but maybe half of the stuff they put out. One from way in the past, Right Stuff slash Nozomi slash Lucky Penny. Right Stuff is a name known by any big anime guy. It's uh, rightstuff.com, like the place to buy it is where I buy almost everything. Uh, stuff with one F. Years ago, they decided to start making their own DVDs, jumped into the market, did some major pieces like his and her circumstances. After a while, they kind of backed off from that, and they're really doing niche market stuff. Yes, even the anime niche market has a niche market. has multiple <laughs> niche markets. Sub-niche, I don't know what you call it. For some older releases, some stuff that you'd, you'd never see otherwise, like Aria the Natural, and uh, I finally got to see Rose of Versailles on DVD. Gorgeous. I don't know why. Well, initially, they, they broke off a smaller branch to do their uh, DVDs, Nozomi Entertainment. And then recently, they broke a sub-branch of that called Lucky Penny. Now they're releasing under both Nozomi and Lucky Penny labels. I don't know, really know why. They used to do dubs back in the day, but they don't anymore with these uh, niche releases. And that's fine. I wouldn't expect to get them any other way. Uh, nice looking stuff and decent price. And there's a few smaller ones out there. Uh, Discotech has been around for a little while, and they put out a variety of really old stuff, like the original Captain Harlock, for example. And lately they've really stepped up and put out just a, a, a very large amount of material the last couple of years, which is kind of surprising, given this really small niche. And uh, they started doing Blu-rays as well recently, so uh, good for them. Then there's <laughs> Anime Midstream. I always think that they're gone, and then you know, two years later, they come out with one more disc of that one series they're working on. And then Crimson Star Media just announced they're going to actually start doing something. They used to be a bunch of fan subbers that they're now going to release DVDs. Yay! Amateur hour. <laughs> and there's, of course, some other ones. Sony has done some stuff like the Marvel anime pieces. Disney still owns the Studio Ghibli stuff, etc. Some smaller ones, but that's really the market as it stands right now. Game review! Ready to review this game? Sure. Wow. Alright. Take two. Game review! Are you ready to review this game? God, yes, man! Let's roll those dice! Let's rock it! Alright. This time, let's try to take it down a little bit. What I'm looking for from you is, like, smoldery mystery. Don't. Don't direct the talent. You you cannot. You have not earned that right. You get what I give you, and you say thank you, sir. There's another flashback moment. Now get to your room. 
This game review brought to you by Hedgemonic. <laughs> We're going to review Hedgemonic from Minion Games. Sorry. Oh. You asked for it. A 4X game from Minion Games. Let's see here. Of course, you're uh, exploring across the galaxy. You're building. You're expanding out. You're fighting. Uh, Some might say exterminating. Exterminating, yeah, yeah, yeah. Expanding in uh, industrial, martial, and political means and, and using those various elements to either destroy or take over some of your opponent's areas. Setup isn't actually, setup's not too bad for this game, I don't think, overall. You find your whatever number of players you're going to play with, and it goes from two to six players, and they tell you how many uh, galaxy board tiles that you'll use including the center one, which the core galaxy board in the middle has your phase tracker for each turn. And you take that number of galaxy board tiles, put them together, and they give you some recommended setups. If you want to do a quick setup in the uh, sidebars of the rule book, you could use that, and it'll show you like the recommended setup where you should put those tiles and where you should have your starting spots. Or you can just kind of take turns adding it on to uh, each player, adding it on to the core board as you see fit and then uh, also going around in turn order putting your starting space as well if you want and you start with uh, each person i mean there's a there's a ton of components with this bad boy you're going to start with your uh, industrial complexes which there's uh, 15 of those in each of players colors two of those are going to be used as like a score tracker so you know, one will be one through 49, and then the other one will show you when you've hit 50, 100, 150. Um, so they're used for scoring. Did you ever hit 100? Yes. No. No, no I don't think you did. <laughs> Jackass. <laughs> uh, let's see. You get uh, political embassies. And, again, these are all plastic, plastic. pieces. So you get uh, your political embassies, which you get nine of those in each player color. And then there are 12 martial outposts in each player's color. You also get three pairs of quantum gates, uh, and those are actually cardboard tokens that uh, are, uh, like I said, they're three pairs, so you get two that show A's, B's, and C's, so you can show where the gates connect if you put them out. To you. What? A-B-U. Shut it. (laughs) It's a (laughs) C-U. C-U. Next Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. And then you get three political agents, and these are, now we're going back to plastic. You get three agents in your color, and you get three fleet units in your color. You'll also get a board, and all of those fit into the board. The board is kind of, every player board has got some indented spots that for each of the outposts to go into, and there's some numbers in, inside there. So as you take them off the board, you reveal... That number is like your retention rate, yes. if I remember right. So the player board is really kind of, I mean, there's a lot of information on your player board, but it's pretty quick and pretty easy to, to tell where you're at. There, I would say the opposite of that. There's really? not much information on the board because the majority of it is your pieces. Each tech track, military, political, or industrial, has three lines of numbers. But each set of numbers means the same thing on each track. It's how much it costs, how much you get, Mm -hmm. and how much money you get to retain. There's not a lot of information on the board. There, it's just displayed very graphically. That's not a drawback. I just, I just think it's not as busy as it looks. Well, there's the, 
the retention. Mm-hmm. There's what you gain in income. Mm-hmm. There's what the cost is. Mm-hmm. There's what tier you're in for each one. Mm-hmm. There's what movement what your, and purchase cost for your fleets and your agents. Right. What power your fleet is at. Mm-hmm. What uh, and what your is it what your agents are what gonna your cost agents or what cost. your gates are gonna yeah. Agents. And then there's your gates. So I mean there there's a fair amount of information that's available on your player board. Yeah, but it's well, again I'm I'm gonna take the, the opposite stance, not just to be opposite. There's a lot of numbers there, but there's not a lot of information because there doesn't need to be. It's all very straightforward. Yes. That's all I'm saying. I don't think there's a lot of information. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we're done. This is the best player board ever, people. Uh, so okay, and so there's a spot for your agents. There's a spot for your fleet pieces. Where those pieces go, those aren't indented in. Just your kind of outposty type thing. Worst player board ever, <laughs> jackass. Uh, but those do have spots for you, and they tell you like the costs or where you need to look for the cost to put them out. And let's see, there's an, an arbiter token, shuriken, uh, the shuriken. Yep, that's the first player token. <laughs> and then there are some hexagonal type tiles, which are kind of the exploration of the universe. So every one of these galaxy core tiles are made up of about six spots, six hexagon spots. And then these hexagon cardboard tiles will be face down off to the side, except for you get a starting spot, which is uh, that. And you'll start with one of each type of outpost on the board on that starting spot for you. Everybody will take a turn putting out one tile somewhere on the board, usually close to you. And then the rest of them will kind of be face down except for a small pile by number of players. Yes, because each player takes two yeah. and selects one. Yep. You'll have some face-up ones that when we get to expansion, we'll talk about that. But then the rest of the pile is face down, so you kind of have some mystery still of what's coming up. Everybody has a hand of six action cards. They're all the same, and these are the actions you can kind of take when you get to the action phases. And then there are tech cards, technology cards, which have you can slot them. They're they're by tier, so every everything it's martial, industrial, and political. And there's tier one, tier two, tier three, and you have three spots on your board above your board, really, that you can slot advancing technology cards. Uh, and if you uh, slot them, then you get the top text bonus for that card. Otherwise, you keep them in your hand and you use the bottom numbers. So every card has three numbers on it associated with industrial, political, and martial uh, that you will use basically for conflicts. So you'll start with a hand, uh, a hand of five of those. Each player will. And that's pretty much, I think, kind of bringing us right to the start of the game. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right at the setup. Uh, you don't start with any funds yet. The money is called caps. Uh, you don't start with it like as part of setup because the first thing you're going to do as we go into the phases of a turn here is collection. And then the optional thing that you can potentially start with is a leader. Yes. Uh, it's an optional thing. We played with it the times that we played. So you will have a leader card, which has three abilities on it, and you'll gain those as you go along during the collection phase. Uh, you'll reveal a new one until all three are revealed. Or as soon as you use one of those abilities, basically you slide the card back under your player board because you can't choose another ability. So the, basically the longer you wait to use your leader, the more options you'll have when you actually use it. You kind of go through these three abilities and decide when you want to use one of them. 
So in collection is when you're going to get your, your money, which, again, you go by, you add up all of the open slots from your outposts. Uh, so there's going to be a number above martial, a number above industrial, a number above the political, where you've opened up a spot. You'll take that number, add them all together. That's how many caps you'll get. So, you know, you could have, you know, if it's a five and a six and a five, you're going to have 16 caps. Uh, and you'll collect that money. And then again, like I said, uh, if you have, if you're playing with the leader, you'll slide the leader down, get another ability. And then you go into expansion. So in expansion, you are going to reveal a tile. So you're going to grab one of the face down tiles, flip it over, add it to the pile that's available in the pool. And then you're going to choose one of those tiles and put it on the board somewhere. You decide where. Typically, you're kind of trying to build out around what's going to benefit you. But eventually, there's going to kind of come a point where you've got to figure out, I got to put this tile somewhere. I can't really use it, but I don't really want my opponent to have it either. Uh, Eventually, you'll get there. (laughs) So you'll put that on, and then you will take a technology card uh, in one of three ways. You can either grab one that you've advanced and put it back in your hand. You can take the top discarded, the top card off of the discard pile, or you can take one off the top of the deck as a, as a blind draw. Once you've done that, then you have to decide you either have to advance a card, which again, you've got three advancement slots, and there are some rules to how you can advance a card. If again, uh, all of the slots are in tier one, tier two, tier three kind of mode. Uh, the first time you play a card, you have to have opened up that tier, which means you've had to have basically put that many outposts out of that type. So starting off the game, everybody's in tier one. So you can basically only slot tier ones right away. But if you get to a point where, let's say, uh, your political is still in tier one and you have a tier one political card already advanced, you can advance a tier two, even though you haven't expanded into that. And on consecutive turns, you could do a tier three because you've put a tier two out. So you can, you can do the kind of the slow advance that way, or you can spend all the outposts, get them out on the board and just go right to tier two or tier three. If you've opened that up, it's worth noting that these cards actually serve a purpose. Yes. You're not just advancing cards because it's, it's a rule. These cards give you a themed action or bonus within the game. The political cards let you do stuff with your agents or reduce costs of your embassies. The military cards lets you do stuff with your fleets, enhance your fleets or your outposts. And the industrial cards do the same thing. They let you build cheaper, move your gates around instead of getting destroyed. All of them have some kind of uh, savior function that will let you either move something out of danger or if it's destroyed, rebuild it immediately for cheaper than the original cost. So these tech cards serve two purposes. They're giving you an in-game effect for how you're aiming your technology, or as Jeff said, they've got the dual numbers down at the bottom, D-U-E-L, that you add when you're in a conflict. So there'll be a number for each of the each of the three areas, and you add those to a conflict, which we'll get to. And then the third thing is that there is an end-of-game scoring where 
the tier of your advanced technology cards gives you extra points. So you'll get two points for a tier one, four points for a tier two, six points for a tier three. So that is also something to maybe not early game necessarily keep in mind, but towards the latter of the game, you're definitely factoring that in your bonus points and your opponent's bonus points for uh, how much they've advanced technology tiers. Three different things you kind of are looking at with the technology cards. So that takes us through expansion. So then phases three, four, and five are action phases. So you'll do basically kind of the same thing all three of those phases. And what you're going to do is everybody's going to simultaneously take one of those six cards that we were talking about, the action cards. So everybody's got the same six actions they could potentially do. Now, there are multiple things on each card that you can do, and almost all of them have the same basic action. So there's one or two specialized actions to that card, and then there's a basic action that almost all the cards have. And they have a number on them, one through four. And so where the number comes in is the lower the number is the person that's going to go first for action. If there's a tie, the arbiter, first player, gets to choose who goes first. So you'll everybody will pick their action card. They'll reveal it, and then you get to take up to two of the actions off that card, and you can do an action twice. So these are things like this is how you're going to start buying your complexes and stuff like that, your outposts, start buying, uh, start putting out your fleets, start putting out your agents, start attacking, start gaining maybe a little extra money. You can advance exploration a little quicker this way. The basic action itself is either take two caps or basically advance a technology if you want to. Number one is assault. Mm-hmm. And that gives you fairly straightforward directions on cost and how each tech group will assault another, uh, the other tech groups. And that's straight up fighting. Two, two, and two are politicize, industrialize, and martialize. Yep. And each one of those allow you to build those resources, build these special characters that go with those resources. So politicize gives you the embassy and your secret agent. Military uh, Martialize gives you your outposts and your fleet. Industrialize gives you your uh, industrial sector and Gates. Stargates. Yep. Sorry, they're Quantum not Stargates. Gates. Quantum Gates. <laughs> Patent pending. And then they also give you instructions on how to use your special elements, how to use your agent, how to use your fleet, you know, or how to use your... Uh, your Stargate, uh, how to build it. And the twos also, like you said, they have the basic actions. They get you the monies or or let you swap out your cards and do the... So one is straight up fighting. The twos are building and some small expansion if you do it that way. Three is subvert, which is really my favorite. Because this is... Because uh, I ended up... And I, I should say that the basic action is just the advance. It's not the explore part of it it's not the no but tile. well it's from the explore section yeah, or the expansion it, it's section from the exp- expansion section but yeah it's not actually doing the, the tile it's just the technology it's either take the money or do the technology because there is a card that you're about to talk about that yeah does the other part so number three is subvert and uh rather than assault which just outright destroy something which you know can be good you know just take it off the board that's removing power from your opponent subvert uh, is a little bit more expensive, but it gives you the, or it lets you take the base from your opponent. So you're infiltrating them and you throw money at them or industrial goods or whatever, and then you take their base off if you win and put your own on there. Right. And then number four is discover, and that lets you get a little bit extra money 
Or you can do the other half of the expansion. It's called survey. Let's do the other half of the expansion. You pick a tile, put a tile out. This is a way to kind of speed up the game a little bit because one of the end or the end is the board fills up with tiles or there's no more drop. There's none left in the drop pile at the end of arbitration. Arbitration. So, yeah. And then research, which lets you, again, swap around your tech cards a little bit. That's the discard and take five. Yeah, yeah, your cards that you've used and discard as many yeah. of them as you want and then redraw Draw back to, up five. to five. Yeah. And then it's also worth pointing out that you really got to watch the icons. Well, and, and what you have to you. watch the icons. No, you have to watch the icons. <laughs> How many times did you try to do something that was like, no, not with that card? <laughs> once. No, more than once. <laughs> well, once with each card. Uh, <laughs> because the twos, the industrial, the politicized, and the martialized, also allow you to do, you know, again, there's multiple actions. It's not only the, the building, but there's a takeover type action. But it's just for that. So it's like industrial versus industrial political versus political and so on. But it's the subvert that allows you to go industrial versus something else. And, and you know, the other two, yeah. uh, but doesn't let you go industrial versus industrial. So you kind of have to, you got to make sure you understand that you're playing the card that you're really looking for here to, uh, to make your action happen, but it is possible. Yes. <laughs> Different it, conflicts. It is possible to have your military, for instance, raise an industrial complex or to have your spy, you know, take out somebody else's embassy. Yes. Those kind of cross cross faction action <laughs> does happen. So again, that's a, uh, Three, four, and five, so you'll simultaneously reveal. You go in number order. Again, the arbiter gets to, to break ties. Uh, you'll take up to two actions off of that card. The card goes back into your hand, so it's not play it and done kind of thing. So you can play it like three times if you want, and you do that for three, four, and five. Those are the action phases. And then six is the arbitration phase. And this is where the first thing you do before you look at anything else is count caps whoever has the most caps is now the arbiter then you look at your player board and see how far down you have to discard caps so you're only allowed to retain so many and so when you when you start you know you start with one resource for each section on your on your home space and you have, you're allowed to retain an infinite amount of money for each but as you grow your tech your political or your military base uh, the amount of money that you can keep drops you're spending more to build your infrastructure, so obviously you have less. It's a different it's a different progression. If you blast your military really quick, you're gonna not be allowed to keep a lot of money. I don't know what you're talking about. If you do your industrial really quick, you'll be able to keep a little bit more money. But still, if you blast one really, really quick, you're gonna be in a cap lock. <laughs> Lock really fast. So there is an encouragement to take a balance because you get, you have to, you only get to retain the lowest number. So if you've advanced your military to the point where you only can maintain four or retain four, even if your industrial says you can retain 10, you still only get to keep those four caps from round to round. But blasting up like that, you might gather more during collection, but yeah, you don't get to carry over as much. Yeah, as the game progresses, whether you balance or not, it goes from saving and planning to what can I do right now, yep. which I think is a good progression. Yep. So uh, we should probably talk about the sector tiles a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's different symbols on them, and the symbols, and there can be up to, I think, three is yes. the max that I saw, I remember seeing. So there can be up to three. It could be one. 
could be two, up to three, uh, different symbols on them. And those symbols basically equate back to uh, the different types of outposts and complexes. So, so it's it's an embassy, it's a, a comp, industrial complex, or a martial outpost. Uh, and they, so they all have different symbols, so they're very easy to tell what is what. I mean, it's the... Your military is a triangle. Yep. Your political is a circle. Circle. And your industrial is a square. Yep. The industrial is yellow. It's a yellow outline square. The military is a red outline square. And triangle. the political... Yeah, triangle. <laughs> and the... Where was I? Political. Political. Yeah, it's a blue circle. Blue circle. Yep. And then each of those will have two numbers associated with them. One is a range, and one is power. All industrials are one and one, so it's one range, one power. But if there's multiple on a spot and you own them, you get to collectively use their power when in a conflict, which we can get to in a little bit. Embassies range. I think range is always one, but power is one to three. Mm-hmm. And then in military marshal is zero to two in range and one to three in power. Mm-hmm. And why is there a range on military? Because the uh, triangles and the triangle plastic pieces that are martial outposts can stack. So you'll also look at how many red outline triangles are on a spot. So it could be a spot where you're only allowed to put one of those, or it could be a spot where you can put up to three of those. And as you pay for them and put them out, you can stack them up and you go by the stack. So if you have a stack of three, that's going to be a range two power three because you've gone to the max of the stack of and so you go to the max of the limit for the tile and range comes in because when you're building you have to build within range of things you already own so you're you're constantly watching that so when you're putting the tiles you got to keep that in mind as well because uh especially when it comes because military especially in a two-player marshal when it comes to especially in the two-player game it was very easy to deadlock your military because there are a lot of zero range, so it only affects itself, but you can't expand out without sending out your fleet, basically. And, and depending on how far away you got to send out your fleet, you might be doing a takeover action in the middle of nowhere that's not going to get any assistance. You know, the more I've thought about that, kind of getting ahead, but I think that was just, I think that's deliberate game, game design mm-hmm. to make you use Stargates. Yeah. Quantum Gates. Quantum Gates. Yes. So when you're in the expansion and you're looking at what tiles to place, those are things you're looking at. How much power am I getting? What's my range? Where can I put this so that I can expand out? Those are all things you're kind of taking into consideration while you're doing that because right after expansion, you're going to start going into your action phases and spending your caps and trying to expand and all that good stuff. So those are things to kind of keep in, in mind. Now, gates. Gates, again, with the industrialized card, you can put out a gate. It has to start in an area where you own an industrial complex, and then you can put the other end of it somewhere else on the board that has an industrial complex. You don't have to own that second one. You just have to own where it starts. But putting a gate out makes those two spots now adjacent to each other, and anybody can use your gate. So you're also making those adjacent to each other for everyone else. So those are some things that came up, but it's one way to kind of expand across the board and give support through the gate as well, saying, okay, well, these two are adjacent to each other, so I can I can give support during conflict and all that stuff. See, and going back to your fleet, your fleet, uh, your fleet power is based on your military tier level, so at best it'll be a power three, but when it's engaged, it can draw extra power 
from the nearest within range military outpost. So if you got a power three outpost, but only a range one, and you're three away, but you've got your Stargate set up there through the gate, that then becomes adjacency if you're sharing, you know, a multi a multifunction tile. Because some of them are multifunction. There, right. I don't think we covered that. All the tiles are not just industrial or just military or just political. They have multiple. Uh, they can have multiple functions. All right. So an arbitrate. Okay. So back to arbitration. We've done the looking at caps, deciding who's going to be the next first player, the arbiter. There's also every arbitration is a scoring. So when you score, you basically take each galaxy tile and score it separately. You're going to basically add up all the power that each player has on that galaxy tile. So you'll take all your sector tiles and, and what you own and add up all your power. And whoever has the most power gets six points. Whoever has the second most gets three. If there's a tie, you split it. If you are exclusive to a tile, if nobody else owns anything else on that tile, you get a bonus two points. You keep doing that around all of the tiles. The core tile, the one with the phase tracker, anybody that scores points there will get a bonus point for being in the galaxy core. So if you dominated and you would get the six points for having the most power, you would actually get seven points. And if you were there alone... Uh, you would get nine points. I don't know if they're, I think that's about. No, you also take back the cards you've used in conflict too. Yeah. In arbitration. That's right. Cause if you've, if you've done any conflict, you've played your tech cards, they go inactive. So basically those can only be used once per conflict in a turn. So yeah, you'll get your cards back. You'll have five cards in your hand again and you'll go into collection and rinse and repeat mm -hmm. until again, either the game board fills up. Or there's nothing left in the draw pile. And then you'll do a final scoring, uh, which, again, is exact same thing that we talked about for scoring before. But then you'll get your extra bonus points for your technology tier cards that you've advanced. Uh, I suppose we should talk about conflict a little bit. Yes. There's several different scenarios, but the core mechanic behind any right. conflict is yes. the same. Whether you're doing it militarily, politically, or industrially, there might be a cost for movement if you're moving your fleets or your agent. And generally, that's what you're working with. So you're going to pay a cost for movement, and that movement is whatever your fleet or your agent costs to move, and then add that on to generally either one or two times the power of what you're attacking. It's one times power for destroying. Destroying. It's two times power for taking, taking over. over. Yeah. So if I'm sending my agent to try to take uh, subvert a three-power military outpost... It'll cost me even more if I have to travel across a border. If you travel across one one sector card to another, that costs you two. Mm -hmm. Then there's your basic movement cost. And then, for instance, subverting a three-power military outpost would be an extra six uh, mm -hmm. caps. So you're looking at maybe for one round spending nine, nine caps on an action that, depending on how the cards go, you know, you might not be successful at. So you really do have to look at your your finances and what you're trying to do that turn. But that is the basics of the conflict. You're going to look at how much it's going to cost you, what you're going to move, whether it's your agent or your fleet, and what's going to team up with that, because you do have add-ons that you can do. Like we said, the fleet can pull extra power from its nearest within-range military outpost. Mm -hmm. Your agent lets you pull in all your... Uh, political clout from one single faction. 
So you get into sometimes some d- double digit numbers of power because we ran into we had a political thing where you had like nine and I had 10. So we were almost evenly matched in power. And then the last part of the conflict is using your tech cards to add a bonus to that number. As we mentioned before, the tech cards have a number for each of the three tech trees. And sometimes they're a low number. Sometimes they're high. Sometimes they're just middle of the road. I don't think it's really determined by the the tech level. I think it's like, I don't think like a tech one is always a lowest number. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's more making you decide, do you want to use this tech for your, uh, your tech advances turn or use it for its high number? I didn't pay close enough attention, but I, I'm wondering it, I, the closest. I think that might come is probably the highest number on that card is to the tech yeah. that's being used. But you're right. I don't think it's like, well, if this is tier one, it's going to be this range no. or anything. Like that. I don't think that that's the case at all either. At least one of the leaders can give you a bonus, but that's, that's just a leader specific bonus. So you're going to count up all your power on the board. And that includes uh, pulling in power from adjacent squares, either that are physically adjacent or through the quantum gates and then adding your tech card and then the highest number wins. Mm -hmm. And that's across all three types of conflict. And if there's a tie, the arbiter breaks the tie. No, no, that's not true. If there's a tie, nothing happens to the ground bases, but, but any special elements, your fleets, your agents or whatever, they're destroyed. Arbiter breaks all other ties. (laughs) That's what it is. Uh, Even things they're not involved in. they, They break the tie. But yeah, the, uh, well, they're the arbiter. Yeah, but the, but in conflict, there's there is a, a structure in place that they tell you if this happens, if the if the defender wins, this happens. If the attacker wins, this happens. Yada yada. All right. So that is how to play the game in a nutshell. So components. What do you think? Well, here's where I'm gonna bag a little bit. It's <laughs> a very good game. I enjoyed it. I would like to play it more. But the more I played the game, the more I looked at the components. And I'm just talking the plastic here. The board's nice. The player tiles are nice. Player trays are nice. And I don't know if they did this deliberately, non-IP infringing kind of models or what. But the more I've played the game, the more I look at the pieces, I just see white stars. I see Gort. I see just standard moon bases, board cubes, and Goa'uld pyramids flying through space. And I just look at that and I go, A, that's just a horrible clash of themes. And as you've heard me say all, ga- all night, Stargates, it's, I just look at that and I go, it's all just very far, for, for, for my insane mind, really far too similar to so many movie and TV properties that it's just, it's a clash. And then the other thing that really, right as soon as you popped them out and gave them to me, I made the joke, it's ABU. <laughs> the font sizing on the A, the B, and the C, the, the C really does look like a U. And then on top of that, those chips... Everything else fits in its spot on the board, but the cardboard punch-outs are too big to fit within their dotted line on the board. That's true, yeah. Componentry, I'm really... It's not horrible. The plastic is solid. You're not going to accidentally, you know, step on this in our... You're going to hurt yourself if you step on this stuff on a hardwood floor because the pointy (laughs) bits are nice and pointy. They are going to, you know, survive repeated gameplay, even if somebody flips the table. But just thematically, it all looks wrong. That's just me. That is just you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the components part. I think there are really good, solid components. We both talked about we really liked 
the majority of the player board. It's really nice that it's indented, that the pieces aren't, that you're not going to bump it and spend the next five minutes readjusting where everything is on the board. I did make a mention that it would have been kind of nice if the sector tiles were the same way, just mm. in case. Because if you if you get, especially with more players, right, you, you start expanding out, you're going to have people reaching over. That's going to start getting bumped. And I think, did we have that happen at least once? Oh, the, a couple the times bump, at yeah. least, yeah. So the sector tiles, it would From have been your nice. From side of the table. Yeah, yeah, Never mind. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Never a cat either. No, no. <laughs> no, we were cat-free for both of those games. <laughs> but the sector tiles, the hexagons, it would have, been kind of nice if those were indented a bit too that that would have been a, a nice bonus but not a showstopper you're right especially once you mentioned again and i thought about that a couple times as we were putting them on there the gate pieces are just off with the rest of the player board you know the the fleets and the agents fine because they are you know these big places, but they generally fit in the area that they've assigned for them where the the gate pieces are just a too big, right, for, for the space they've assigned to it. I agree with that as well. But beyond that, cards are fine. The core tiles, uh, the one thing we did find, it, it, they, they're a little warped, at least the copy we, we got. Uh, there's, there's some, uh, there's some, some butterflying there at the end of a couple of those. So they, they need to be flattened out a bit. Uh, but other than that, it was pretty solid. I think the, the last game we played, we actually did get like three, or four really good flat pieces, mm-hmm. and it, it fit together a lot better. No problems there. Sector tiles, again, good cardboard stock. And I don't mind the pieces. I mean, I I, you know, I kind of like what they did. I like the different shapes. I like the – it's one of those things where it's easy to see what you're doing, where you're doing it, and uh, what's going on there and what kind of unit it is, and you're not guessing. That's my color. That's a square. That's industrial, you know, that kind of thing. So I I like all that stuff, and they are solid. Even the triangle thing, at first I wasn't sure the stacking of the triangles. I wasn't Mm. sure how much I was going to really care about that or if it was going to be one of those how many do I got there kind of things once they're all together. No, the Uh, the lip around the bases of the triangle makes each each tier very distinct. Yeah, so that all worked well for me. So component-wise, I'm I'm – going to put this in a very solid state i i do and i think the the components worked out really well so what do you think of mechanics i think the mechanics are pretty solid there can be a lot going on on any given turn when you take your three rounds of actions but once you've got a couple rounds in and once you've had or even one game and you've had the chance to see even if you don't perform all the actions you've had a chance to see all the actions take place once or twice yeah mechanically it all comes together very well i think it's not a gateway game, but most, I don't think many 4Xs are, but it still, I don't think it has a huge learning curve. Yeah, I think the mechanics are pretty sound. Uh, having the phases laid out in the middle of the core board, I think was a nice touch mm-hmm. and, and being able to see that and you know where you're, you're kind of going with that. And to have of your six phases in a turn, three of them are picking actions and, and you've got those cards in your hand. Once you get through one, right? Once you get through one good turn, mm-hmm. You're pretty set. From there, it's the whole, okay, well, we're doing conflict and what, how do I total all my power for political in this instance while you're doing your martial and stuff like that? So that's where you might spend a little extra time. But when it just comes down to, okay, boom, we're on collection. Give me money. You know, that kind of thing. Advance your leader. Uh, you know, let's expand. Well, okay, pull a tile, pull a card, you know, all that kind of stuff. Play simultaneous actions. Take two. You know, it, it, the, all of that stuff is very easy to get in line with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it comes down to, all right, well, here's the action I picked. 
Now, pull out the rule book. <laughs> How, no, don't pull out the rule book, <laughs> So, uh, again, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a gateway game. Uh, it's it's going to even be a hard sell for your maybe middle-of-the-road casual player. Uh, it still might be a little too much for them, but it's a solid game. Mm-hmm. I mean, a solid, uh, solid mechanics. Uh, and like you talked about earlier, I mean, there's the, there's the balance side of things that you got to worry about. I mean, you can't just go, I'm all military and Oh crap, I got no money I and I can't do return. anything. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. I don't have any retention. And so there is that nice balance act. There is that, that nice, uh, what the tech cards can do kind of thing. All of that kind of stuff. It all, it all works pretty well. I think we had a really good time. And you, I think you kind of even set it up, up towards the front. I mean, we, we played uh, quite a few times. We're still looking forward to playing it. So uh-huh. mechanics worked for us. Rules, though. Rules, they're not horrible. Not by any means. I mean, we, we got the base pretty good. And the sidebars are really good. But there are times looking stuff up. That takes way too long to find things, and I believe, I believe, if we look here, I believe we're over Jordan's rule. Yeah, more that's than, more than ten pages. That's that's a uh, front to back. That's twenty pages right there with no index. And at times, this thing can use an index. Uh, I will say, I mean, I was really happy to see the uh, icon reference here uh, until there were a couple icons that aren't here. You know that book. I'm I'm gonna disagree. Uh, I'm only gonna partially agree with you. Partially disagree. It. I will agree. It is not a horrible rule book because I've seen horrible rule books. But this is by no means a good rule book. It does eventually give you all the basic rules of the game. But I feel sorry for you to have having read that book to then try to teach the game, especially since I then saw you essentially read the book three more times over the course of our games <laughs> trying to find the sidebars on this thing are excellent. If whoever yes. had designed done the sidebar work on this book had actually then done the layout for the rest of the book, I think it would be an excellent book. This is a horrible book. Okay. I said it. I totally disagreed. It's a horrible book. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I don't think it's a horrible book because I could go down stars right now and pull yeah, off like well, th- three games that we haven't played just because we've both <laughs> given up. <laughs> Okay, you're right. You're right. This is this is not Mage Knight bad, but it's it's still it has ample room where it could have been better. Yeah. I, the the saving grace here is the sidebars. Yep. I can agree with that. The rule book got us through, especially our first game, got us through very slowly. And again, we did this just two players. I can't imagine doing this again. Oh, all new players, players all new players all new players if somebody would die there would be a knife <laughs> there would be a finger I, I was really happy that it was just the two of us going through these first few plays i would love to play with more players now i still not sure if i care for I, I, I don't know if i'd want to go six it'd have to be a good group that's willing to really that can pick up stuff. yeah even if they want to go fast there's just that l- level of counting involved in everything you do that no matter and this is just me. I always want to double check. I plan my action. I got 10 power. I'm going to do this and I'm going to count it again. So if you got a whole great group of people like me, even if we all know what we're doing and it's all going smoothly, six people who double check everything, that's going to just slow the game down way too much. I don't think there's any circumstance that I'd want to play this game at full. I think four would be the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. I think five at most. Me personally, never at six. Yeah. The one thing that we did get to miss out, had to miss out on though, just the two player was the negotiation alliance kind of thing and the backstabbing. Cause well, 
that just happened <laughs> naturally anyway. We just that was just part of the game for us. I, mean, I just told you what was coming up. <laughs> just so you know, I'm going to screw you right here. <laughs> we were able to play the game. Uh we were able to get the foundations pretty good off of the rule book, which again, there are several games I could bring upstairs right now that we haven't even gotten that far on, but there's always, and, and this is to me a testament of a really good rule book anyway. There's always the read, right? You read, you don't play, you think you got it, you think you understand it. And then the first five questions that come up of like, well, that should have been obvious, but <laughs> you know, so, but, and, and of course, as, as somebody teaching a game, you, you, you kind of want to be right, right? I mean, you don't want to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, crap. And it happens, but generally you're like, well, let me double check that. And then when you, in that moment, when it just isn't where you think it should be, and then you're scrambling to try to figure out where they decided to put something and there's no index. <laughs> that, and the sidebars aren't related to yeah, the, the, the section you're yeah. reading. Well, this is close. <laughs> yeah, we did that a couple of times too, but not a horrible, horrible rule book, but has room for improvement. Definitely. So teachability, that kind of goes into teachability. I mean, again, we, we said it. This is not a gateway game. This is not even a casual to maybe even mid-casual players game. This There's some meat to this. There's some math behind it. If you got people that don't want to wait as actions are selected and, and waiting for that analysis, you know, not it, it can have analysis paralysis, but even if you've got somebody that doesn't want to wait while just shy of paralysis, but people that like to do the analysis, mm -hmm. uh, this is not going to be the game for them. That said, and I'll also say this, uh, and I meant to say this at the top, Jordan and I have not played Eclipse because I've been asked that several times. How does it equate to Eclipse? So we came into this fresh. Uh, I have Eclipse downstairs. We just haven't gotten around to it. So we can't compare it to Eclipse. So sorry if that's what you were looking for out of this. But as it sits, I mean, it's it's a teachable game with gamers. And for me, it's now a teachable game because I sat down with just one other gamer and got to go through those growing pains for several games and now I I would be fine with taking it to four or five players and and teaching it. But I wouldn't have been real thrilled if we had four people at the table and I was trying to figure this out every turn for every player as we went A along. A new question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, this is definitely uh, directed at people who have some background in forex games and kind of deeper gaming in general. And that too, that was uh, one of the other things. I mean, Jordan and I talked about it before we started playing. I generally don't play Forex games, so I don't have a lot of experience with Forex games. And Jordan, you had said that most of yours were computer-based, not board game-based. Yeah, I like to be games. able to save and go away. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we were coming into that a little newish as well as far as the tabletop side of 4Xs. All right, so you've kind of said a little bit, but you want to expand on uh, your overall thoughts on the theme? A thematic, I think it's it captures, in, in a relatively abstract way, the 4X concept in a sci-fi universe, exploration and domination. I think it's well done. My personal thoughts aside on what all the components look like, there's definitely a sci-fi theme here. It matches the picture on the box, it matches the picture on the rules. When we first started playing, I compared it positively because I really liked it to the old uh, microprose game Master of Orion 2. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a little bit more simple than that was, I think, just because, well, you could make the background stuff on the tech 
easier on the PC so you could have a, a thicker, deeper tech tree than, you know, a board game. It struck me very much as that. So thematically, yeah, I got a, a nice sci-fi expansion feel off this game. Thematically, I, I enjoyed it as well. You're right. I mean, we talked about that off air too, is it's abstract, but themey enough where it's not completely an abstract game. It's it's an abstract concept of this theme while still pulling in theme. I mean, still giving you that feel and that flavor. Again, the, the balancing between industrial and martializing and, and the political and, you know, and that kind of stuff, but in, again, in an abstract way. And depending on how you feel about it, I mean, if you go through the rule book, part of maybe why we're missing pieces is because there is fluff in there. They do talk about the universe. They do talk about, they give you a little backstory on some of the leaders and stuff like that. And in, in again, the sidebars. Uh, so that kind of stuff exists. If you want to go a little bit deeper, if you're that type of player, uh, I believe even on the back of the leader cards had the, mm-hmm. the little There's bit of fluff. There's about the leaders there. and yeah. their factions. Yep. So you can pull that piece in if you want to, but at its heart, as it just sitting on the table playing it, it's thematic. It's an abstract of the theme of the space theme, but it it works at least for us. We enjoyed it. The break is, and this is where you probably get into more of the abstract side of it. The kind of the break is where you're doing the math, right? Mm. I mean, that's where you're kind of like, okay, uh, I'm pulling in this, and that's five, and this is six, and and this I can pull off of this faction over here, which adds up to what is that again? You count it this time, you know that kind of thing. Uh, so that's where you get a little bit of the break sometimes, and then I don't know if it'd be different in because it's still just two players in a conflict, right? Sometimes it just felt like I mean, once you've done done that math, did the card? How much is this card going to matter? Yeah, because there were times where it was so even that you know it was just one or two points different that the cards would matter but more often than not we were very one-sided especially the first game where i was just trouncing you with political you know it was like everything i was doing was yeah. nine, nine or ten to three right so unless you had like a seven every turn you weren't even competing and then in the second game you got a little bit of that back on me for a while doing the same thing i, I had no no competition you know but the rules said i gotta play the card. Yes. And that, that is, true. I mean, you have to play a card. That was actually something I think somebody asked for the fact or something. Um, do you have to? Yeah. I mean, I'm getting, blo- I, I, there's no 10. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah. So, but again, overall, we enjoyed the theme. So, fun factor, fun factor for me is we did enjoy this game. We said it. We want to play it some more. We want to get a few more people at the table because we did miss the chance of backstabbing somebody with an alliance because. I mean, we could have said we were aligned all day because that's what we would have done to each other anyway. <laughs> but, you know, we missed that third or fourth person at the table saying, hey, hey. I want the actual visceral. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't just don't want to pretend. I, or, and the whole, I, you know, and again, in negotiations, you can exchange uh, money or potential like uh, future Consideration. considerations, but you can't give away like tech cards and, right. you know, outposts and, hey, you know, that kind of thing. But don't uh, give away the homework. And of course... No alliance is binding. Uh, So there's that. Uh. (laughs) So, yeah, I I had a lot of fun with it, and I look forward to getting it to the table again. The same. I enjoyed it. Solid game. Uh, I would certainly like to get it to the table a few more times. Definitely multiplayers. Only up to four, though. (laughs) Yeah. I will say one thing, that I've watched a lot of 4X games. I've walked away and come back. 
to see a lot of 4X games still going on. This to me seems like a quicker 4X game just in general from some of the ones that I've watched other people play. I think the rules or the or the box say 30 minutes per player. I think uh even at experienced uh, I think closer to 45 is a better 45 uh, per player. Yeah. Don, you have played Eclipse and it, but you have not played Hegemonic yet, correct? Correct. So uh what what do you feel what, what's your feeling off of what Well, comparing the two. I, I No, I know you can't compare, but I mean from what we've said and stuff is it uh does this sound like something you would play, or does Eclipse just just have your your attention as far uh, as this spacey for it? Kind of a different approach to how things are going, more of an abstract sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely very interested in playing it. All right, so there you go, Hegemonic from Minion Games. All right, Don. You ready to uh, talk to us about Hibane Renme? All right. I believe is what we're going to talk. So I'm just going to start off with, you know, uh, the next time you're mad at us, just let us know. <laughs> you don't have to actually make us watch things. We're all adults here. We can have an adult conversation. All right. So, so you requested <laughs> that I bring you stuff in advance, which surprised and confused me a little bit, because when it comes down to it, it everyone has different tastes. No, I know. And... One of my goals with this is to be as broad as I can. I fortunately have very broad tastes when it comes to this stuff, so I can recommend stuff of all different sorts. But I don't want to come in with the same kind of sort of show every time. I'm just giving you crap. No, it's no, fine. no. It's I, I watched it. it it's it's, it's, a, I, it's a great intro because I got to do my little speech about why I picked this particular <laughs> show. So why did you pick this particular show uh, specifically? It's, it's very different than the other two that I've recommended so far in a number of ways. One very much being that it's a lot more foreign than the other two that I picked yeah, by a long stretch. It's part of a, well, it, it's related to a subgenre of anime that you don't see a lot of, but there's a, f- a few really good examples of it. That's a very laid back genre. In fact, that's, that's all it is, is a laid back. Well, when you say foreign, do you mean as in not American or like the outsider genre or both? Very not fitting in our our culture. Okay. Our culture is very immediate gratification. Mm. So they have a show that's very laid back and doesn't have conflict or comedy. There really isn't a corollary to that here. That sort of concept doesn't exist of... Well, I could say Friends. I didn't have any comedy in it, but... (laughs) You can... Yeah, you can certainly say that, but it, it, it was... That was meant to be a comedy, right? Hibernate wasn't meant to be a comedy, and Hibernate's not a great example of this genre because it's got a lot more drama than most of them do, but something like Aria the Natural. Very little drama, very little comedy, no conflict at all. See, I thought this was supposed to be drama. It was just even a slower burn than than I could sit through. It's like I said, I like the concept that they're presenting with Reki and Roka, and I don't mind a slow burn. I, I don't mind a story for the sake of the story, but after four eps, I still didn't know what they wanted to do with anything. Right. Now, Hibernate, like I said, isn't a great example because there is a, a story to it and there is drama to it. And it's really focused on that drama and, and the message to it. So it's not the same thing as a, as a laid back genre, but it's got a lot of basis in that in its storytelling style and how slow burn it is, how very laid back it is for most of it. Also, it's very different from the other things in terms of this is one of those shows I, I mentioned last time that the market has shifted. And this is the sort of thing that just wouldn't get done today. This is outside the beaten path, outside the norm. Not a wide market by any stretch. Uh, back then, there was a, these things, sort of things had a chance. Nowadays, I just I don't believe it could happen. 
maybe in a few years from now, but for now, it's just not possible. So different in that sense, too. Also different in an obvious sense is it's not an action show. It's not it's not a, a wild One Piece adventure or anything like that. It's, it's a, a very quiet, laid-back show that you have to think about after the fact and really take in what you saw. I'll go into some just basic details of it. It was originally done in 2002. It was released by Jenny on a year later here in the U.S. About a year ago, a little over a year ago, Funimation re-released it here in the U.S. in part of their classics line since Jenny on had shut the, their doors. It was created by a man named Yoshitoshi Abe, who is mostly just a artist, a designer. He was known for doing some art and uh, character designs for Serial Experiments Lane, Technolize, and a few others. He was behind um, some of the things like the concept of Nia Under 7, but you know, didn't do a lot of like story or anything like that. It was really a designer. And it was just fantastic, very lifelike artwork, very beautiful stuff. Well, that definitely does show through in the, you know, there's um, a, lot of, a lot of detail there, a lot of depth in, in background and, and character. He's got a very specific style with his people, with his character designs, where he tries to make them look familiar. Not necessarily someone you know, but some kind of feel like you know them. He does that deliberately. It's, uh, I got to hear him talk once. It was very fascinating listening to him. We'll go into how the show was created and how it came to be at one point because it's a fascinating story and it puts the whole show in a completely different light. But for the moment, I'll just talk about what the show is like. Uh, loosely translated, it's Charcoal Feather Federation. It starts with a young girl falling through the air, not like screaming horror fear or anything, but more like a dream state falling through the air. And when she wakes up from a cocoon, she's in a quiet little home uh, with a couple other people around her that have these little wings on their back. Shortly after that, she sprouts wings of her own in a very painful-looking uh, <laughs> scene. But they're not big, like, angel wings. They're these little charcoal-colored wings. And she also gets a halo, which they put on her, and she has a little trouble with it at first. Static. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. This town, or this place that she's in, is is kind of odd and almost a little creepy. The whole area is walled off. Every time they showed a wall section, I was just expecting one of the giants from Titan to reach over reach and pull over. somebody out. <laughs> These aren't the walls to really keep people out, though. In this case, it seems to be keeping everybody in, mm -hmm. both the humans in this town and what they call the hibernae, these um, youngsters with these wings. And much of the show deals with the hibernae in their everyday life and how they interact with this little town. And what the show is really about is kind of why they're there and uh, what's the meaning behind this all. And not in a way that will come out and just tell you, but you have to infer it from the things that are happening and the, and the storylines that uh, unfold. So let me go back to saying how this uh, show came to be in the first place. Yoshitoshi Abe, artist, wanted to do a series all on his own without the usual pressures of editors or deadlines or anything like that. So he made a doshinji. Doshinji market in Japan is unbelievably huge. This is fan-made comics made by fans that they self-publish and then it, they go to these um, conventions, which attract half a million people. These are just huge and to sell their works. And no, they're not all porn, though quite a bit are. <laughs> Emphasis on all there. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly it's stuff based on anime or manga series that are currently running that people draw their own for. But there's some original stuff. In this case, it was a real published artist who just wanted some freedom, did some self-publishing of his own. His uh, buddy, uh, by the name of Yasuyuki Ueda, who's a producer for anime, took a look at the first page of the first comic and said, I want to make the series out of this. I don't know how much arm twisting he had to do after that, <laughs> but Abe not only agreed to let this thing be animated, but he agreed to do all the storyboards for it as well. So suddenly he was tied down by all the editors and uh, <laughs> deadlines that uh, he thought he was trying to avoid. But his original concept for the comic 
was more of a stream of consciousness one. Not that he was planning anything out, but he was simply drawing whatever the pen did, whatever he was doing. Like, for example, he didn't know the characters' names until they introduced themselves on the page. Like, oh, that's the person's name. You know, you kind of hear, you know, writers and stuff talk about that, just that stream. That's what he wanted to do with, with this whole comic and just kind of see how it would develop and where it would go. And even when he moved to doing the storyboarding for the animation, now if you don't know storyboarding, it's kind of the complete telling of the story, but just in very simple, rough sketches from scene to scene. Even as he was doing that, he was still doing that from that stream of consciousness. Just just let it come from, from within without thinking ahead or trying to plan things out. Which, when I found that out, I was rather shocked. Because the series has a very clear flow and design to it. And particularly when you come to the ending, and I'll get back to where the ending came from. When you look at the ending and all the pieces involved with that final episode, it goes back and explains a lot of the things throughout the show. Uh, some of the obvious things like who's storyline and Rocka's storyline. But it also, Rocka's job, and uh, even all the way back to the very beginning with, with Reki taking care of Rocka right off the, in the first couple scenes. This is all tied together into where it goes into this ending, which doesn't seem possible because when he came to this final episode, he had writer's block. He couldn't figure out what to do. He didn't know. There's just nothing coming out and procrastinated and put it off. And eventually his producer friend came to him and said, look, I need the storyboards done in three days. We're hitting deadlines. Get it done or we're going to end with a recap episode. Three days later, the storyboards were done. And uh, as creative people sometimes know, sometimes deadlines are the thing you really need to find your best work. And it's the ending that really blows my mind, how it puts a framework across the whole show and really gets to the heart of what it's all about while still being the best episode of the series and the most heartfelt one, one that really shakes people up. Now, to talk too much more about the show, I'm going to have to go pretty heavily into spoilers. Oh, so, go ahead. So I'm going to do that, but just to be warned at this point, the real bit of the show, it's the most spiritual show I've seen probably. Not religious, even though... People draw religious parallels for Christianity, but it also works with Buddhism and a few others. It's really not specifically religious. It's much. It's a broad spiritual concept of dealing with guilt and uh, repentance, uh, particularly dealing with the Raka and uh, Reki storylines with their circle of sin, which is really, if you think about it, guilt. And when you start looking at the series from that perspective and thinking about uh, what the Hibane are, you start seeing them as some sort of reincarnation. I think that's fairly clear that there's some sort of reincarnation from another life. And this whole place has some is about atonement, some sort of uh, like a purgatory of atoning for their, their past selves before they can move on. And that's the whole in, introduced with the Ku storyline, with Ku moving on, going beyond the wall. And that's the ultimate sort of a goal for the Hybne. But those that are locked in the circle of sin, like Raka and Reki, are like a cycle of guilt that they're unable to get out of, and they may fail to go beyond the wall. With uh, the way it plays out, Raka isn't actually the main character, and you have to look at the whole show to understand that. Even though that she's the one that the show is focused around, really the story is about Reki and how Raka is the one to help break Reki out of the cycle of sin. And that all comes clear in the ending, and it's all tied with the details, like um, the character names having multiple meanings which I thought was a, a fantastic thing. Now, how can that happen if he doesn't even plan that in advance? But their names actually have different meanings depending on which way they go. And their names, of course, are tied with uh, the dreams that they had before they woke up in this world, which is probably related to how they died in the first place. Now, coming up with theories for the show is it's kind of a strange thing because even the creator doesn't really know what he was working with, 
which kind of leaves things open in a broad sense. And there's a whole discussion about whether artists own their works or if the reader or viewer also has a, a stake in it. On the one hand, it seems like story only means what the writer intends it to mean. On the other hand, there's a very large school of thought that thinks that what the reader's interpretation of a story is, is just as valid as the writer's, and that both sides have a stake in it and have an ownership of, of a work. And then in this case, it becomes all the more true because uh, the writer himself didn't have that conscious intention. So the fan sort of theories of it have an interesting amount of weight to them. And let me tell you, some of the fan theories out there, there's all all kinds of them for what this place is and uh, who, who the Hibernate are. Everywhere from you know, more obvious ones, like it, it's all a hallucination or a dream, to some bizarre ones, like it's all takes place within Frank Herbert's Dune universe. <laughs> I thought that was bizarre. Those wells wouldn't keep the worms out. <laughs> Spice must flow. The one that I tend to uh, latch onto the most is that the Hibernate are people who committed suicide in their previous life. Now, some focus it specifically on Raka and Reki as the ones who committed suicide. I kind of go more general. And the key to this has to do with their names and how that, that's tied to the dreams that they had when they woke up, which is probably tied to how they died. In Raka's case, Raka means falling. You know, her dream, she was falling, and she probably fell to her death. Uh, Reki um, getting run, run over by a train. Other, the other names also can possibly indicate stuff like Kana means river fish, so maybe drown. Hikari means light, maybe died in a fire. So you can maybe expand this beyond that. The circle of sin is clearly something bad from their previous life that they have to get over. And the, the whole suicide thing works very well for that, that idea. I'm not positive about the other characters, but it, it, as a general theory, it fits really well and explains a lot of things about the show. Regardless, it's a very personal, very heartfelt show all the way through the ending and a, a very powerful ending dealing with Reki. And a lot of the some gorgeous backgrounds and uh, artwork from Abe and his character designs really make a bring it to life. And a nice little uh, background score. I even have the soundtrack for it. it. Pulls together into a very laid back but spiritual and heartfelt show. Now it's certainly not for everybody. It's definitely it wasn't for the people and other people in this room apparently. <laughs> but for those people, well, that, you've given me second win on that because, like I said before, we went on air. The two characters that intrigued me the most, Raka and Reki, but. Through the end of one disc, the burn was even too slow for me. Was it even lit? I don't know. But you've told me at least that the rest of the story remains focused around Reki. So, you know, that, then, yeah, I'll, I'll go back and give it a second chance, because at least I know the character that I most identified with after one disc was going to remain the character. Uh, it's definitely about Reki, but it takes a while to understand that. Yeah. And a lot of the show, you don't even realize no, see, I think it I is. got that right off the bat in, like, the second app. They talk, really? Yeah. Second up, they talk about her nightmares. And then in the third up, or maybe it's the third and fourth up, it's Raka goes into her room just after she's woken up, or maybe uh, from a nightmare or something like that. There's And Reki is definitely out of place. So my takeaway, anyways, was that, you know, there's definitely something wrong with, with Reki that is, because she does not fit into the the serenity of the village or, or even the other Hibane. Oh, you caught on very well. Those are early hints. And it goes into a little bit of her life with um, the abandoned factory and stuff like that throughout. But it's not until you go with, all the way through Raka's storyline where she has to deal with her own circle of sin. And how she finds forgiveness from a bird, which is probably a reincarnation of someone from her past life, bringing her forgiveness. That she becomes a major part of Reki's eventual storyline, how she comes to her ending. Again, it, it, it all fits together in a, an amazing tapestry that doesn't seem possible that he could not have planned out every little bit of it from the beginning. 
See, I, I took them as the pair because, you know, like I said, for me, it was clear that Reki was the broken one and Raka, just given the generic, the genericness of her dream. I mean, she had no dream. All she knew is she was falling. Whereas everybody else said they had a distinct image that mm-hmm. they took their name from that she was, she was the blank slate that Reki is going to be working off of. That's, you know, that's what I took away. That's how I thought those two characters Did you get were going to be working together. Far enough to see Raka's uh, wings turning black? Uh, I don't, I don't think, think so. Uh, I don't think, I don't think was, that's don't happened think was, yet on yeah. the first day. That's when it starts getting heavy with Raka. When she gets trapped in the cyclosin and, and her wings start turning black, and you find out Reki's wings are always black. And then she's been coloring them and she teaches Raka how to color them, yeah. to hide them. And there's some other interesting theories that I just read about recently, how the Hibane Renmei, which is the, the group of people that actually kind of take care of the Hibane, and they got the creepy masks on mm-hmm. and little wooden wings. It's thought that they may be a Hibane that did not go beyond the wall. They're the ones that failed the cycle of sin. As he says that their halos and wings fall off and they become outcasts, yeah. which really fits who these Hibane Renmei really are, these outcasts that kind of stand in between and, and all, always a distance from everybody. Uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. That, actually, that was one of the things that somewhat disappointed me. We didn't get to see that actually happen to a character. Like, oh, yeah. it, it got discussed quite a bit and what could potentially and how, you know, it, they all thought it was so horrible, but we never, it just kind of was a background thing after right. that because everybody did move along. And it's fascinating to think that the, the Hibane Renme are that, yeah. that person. And it fits really well. Yeah, it does, actually. Yeah. I don't think it would have fit the show very well to see someone fall apart like that because the show is really about atonement and moving on. Uh, that's about all I had to say about it. If you're interested, Funimation.com released it about a year ago on a relatively cheap set. They might have it on their website. I forgot to check for uh, streaming available. But you might be able to find it on Netflix and other places. But there's my recommendation of the day. Cool. Jordan will finish it out and come back and let us know. It was way too slow of a burn for me all, all the way through. I watched the whole thing. There's some decent parts in it and like i said a couple things that made me like oh that'd be kind of interesting to see and then of course i didn't get to see it type thing but i don't know yeah there are parts of it where i go well it makes sense that he didn't know because it seems there are parts of it that just seem to go weird on me and to me anyway so next what are we talking about next time well my plan for next time is the series clonade okay which is major part of a like the biggest genre right now which is taking dating sim games and turning them into anime, or they're usually hentai games. <laughs> which Tentacles! Oh, Jordan's up. He's no, awake. Not, not tentacles. Just <gasps> tentacle bento. They're like dating sims, except for you the, you screw the girls the whole time, which you'd think would turn into some pretty fan service heavy shows, but they're usually more drama, uh, heavy drama series. And I think the very best one ever is Clonade. All right. So we'll be talking about that next time we get Don here. At this time of year, dependent on weather, it's actually been really lucky so far. I was a little scared today, actually, and I'm a little scared going home, actually. You clean off all that bed. (laughs) (laughs) I brought my pillows just in case. What we're watching. Don. What you got, Jordan? Oh, sure. He just talked for a while. That's right. That's right. Give him a break. I can still hear him. That means he hasn't talked enough. Oh, I need a drink. <laughs> oh, and before before you start, no, no, no let's I've just start. No, we we've watched the Walking Dead mid season finale. We will not be talking about that much tonight because we're doing a special episode with Megan and Sarah. Go.
That's all I had. All right. No. <laughs> um, I know it was the off week, but I had it backed up on the DVR, so we are caught up with Arrow now. Walking Dead, yes, but apparently we're not allowed to talk. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Suck. Yep. Suck. Up. <laughs> a hibernator anime, as noted. And after having said it at least twice in the last month, I finally dug out my Babylon 5 DVDs and started nice. watching that again. How'd that first season go for you so far? Are you uh, still in it? It's, yeah, yeah. No, I'm only like three eps in. Uh, it's painful. Yeah. One of a, I don't Sinclair is the guy who plays him. Like, oh, he's oh so well, dead. between Sinclair and Ivanova, it's like, oh, how did this get a full season? These are just two stick figures. <laughs> and Garibaldi has not yet found balance. And uh, Talia Winter is, and this is sad because she becomes so cardboard as the show progresses and the other characters develop. She's the high point of the characters right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so scared to even say, Megan, let's, this is one you got to watch because it's really good after you get first. But y- you know what? With the, the saving graces, I know what's coming. Yeah. You know, so I look at this and I'll do this. Like I'll read Watchmen once a year, you know, uh, you know, the, the actual trade. And, you know, so this is like, oh, this is so horrible. Oh, but that's where he laid that down. And it's been sufficiently long that I've watched anything even vaguely related to B5, that I'm noticing a few things here and there that, oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, no, that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> at the gates. Yeah, okay. So it's, if not spectacular drama, at least it, well, you know what? It reminds me why I had an Amiga back in the day, if nothing else. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> These colors do not appear in nature. <laughs> and even though the action is, I mean, Mira Furlan, can you do anything other than cry? It's still an excellent story. The Datu of Babylon 5? Yes. <laughs> it's all worth it for the third season. Yes. That's it. That's really, it. It's what yeah. I said. Holiday week. I did nothing. All right. Well, let's talk about it. Marble Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. See, I didn't mention it for a reason. Oh, I mean, no. we watched it, but... We watched it. it was it's stupid. there. It's there. Um, it takes up room on my DVR. Yeah. Ours, too. Yep. We power watched the last three episodes just because it was oh, like, oh, I'm we sorry. have to, right? You had to watch all three. Through. Yeah. I'm going to say, you know what? And I'm starting... I'm starting don't, to get, don't, don't. Don't no, start. No, 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 no. Let me finish. Okay. I'm starting to get a little upset with other people that I listen to. Because, all right, so here's the deal. I was behind on a certain podcast that I listened to. This is not Jason, by the way. This is not Seven Days a Geek, although he he does a companion podcast. I'm so sorry, Jason. Stop that. <laughs> there was I was behind on, on a podcast that I listened to. Well, BJ Shea's Geek Nation. So when I started to listen to it again, when, and I started listening to them all back to back, and I might have told you about this. They started off just like super defending Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but this was like the week before it came out. Or the first episode or something like that. So they're like, ah, I don't understand why all these people. And I was so livid listening to that because we were several episodes in by this point, right? So I was just, I mean, it's one of those yell at my car moments, right? It's like, what? Shut up. What the hell are you talking? Have you seen this show? But I think, again, I think it was like the week before it came out and leading into the first episode. So I answered no. Right. <laughs> so then all of a sudden I start catching up and it's like, I don't know, guys. I, you know, and they're just that slow decline. Getting a little irritated though, because I listened to one today, and they're like, "You know what? They're starting to grow on me." They're, I'm like, "You suck." And they were talking about 
the Thor tie-in episode, and you and I talked about it. That was not a Thor tie-in episode. Just because you can say the word Thor 50 times while recording does not make it a Thor tie-in. There is nothing that tied that to the movie in any way, shape, or form. First two minutes. We're going to clean up the mess. That's all. That's it. That's the closest. Jordan and I were talking like, if they really wanted to potentially do like a tie-in, they could have been after. They could have gone after the the dog beast at the I end. I was expecting or it. Yeah, or something oh, they like could that. Have something that fell out of a portal, right? It, yeah, it was like given to them and they didn't take it. Yeah, I was all, kind of amazed. By all that. nine realms had a portal over London at one point. Something <laughs> the the jets flew back and forth. Why couldn't something have fallen out of a tree? Yeah. The plots are falling from the sky and you don't pick them up. Yes. What, what's wrong with you? So again. Train wrecking it to the end of the but season. We but we find Hydra technology in an Aztec temple for no discernible time travel reason. Yes. You guys are extremely harsh on it. I don't think it's absolutely horrible. The pro- I think there's a difference between being bad and just not ever being good. But we've said that. I mean, it's it's very middle of the road. It's very – there's there's no reason to – I mean, it's – They do nothing right is the problem. It's it's like It's like unflavored oatmeal. It'll sustain you if you really want it to, but it's not going to be the first thing you want to go for. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. (laughs) So it that sucks because you expect you know, and because I had no expectations going in, and I still feel disappointed. That's the thing. Like that's yeah, that is the thing too. Because Jordan and I have talked about that as well, and we've said it before, I think. But we don't know all the people that are like high fiving each other that this exists and is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I don't understand where they're coming from. I don't think either of us do. And then the people are like, "Well, you, you superheroes, you're just expecting superheroes." Where we weren't. We were no. never expecting superheroes. We were expecting good story, good plot, good characters. <laughs> Even if it is an 8 p.m. show, I don't care. You can still do that stuff in a non, you know, PG-13 or whatever. Man, you can still give us those things. Relatable characters, good plot, good story. You can give us those things without having to get gritty and dark and all that other stuff. And we weren't expecting that. We were not expecting to see blood and guts and all that stuff. And we weren't expecting to see, you know, CGI fests and all that stuff. But we would like Marvel to continue giving us what they give us in the movies now. <laughs> so it, it's just, you know, and that's the other thing that started to irk me too. Cause now part of the defense that I was listening to is like, they're, well, you know, well, this is all we've got right now, guys. We have to, this is, this is what Marvel's given us right now. We have to be behind this. And no. Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just it. I mean, the Netflix stuff is coming up, but I'm just saying is that to me is not yeah. a legitimate excuse. It is not an excuse. Well, you know what? This is the best we've got right now, and if we don't support this, we won't get good. No, if you support this, they're going to continue to make this. See Fox, Daredevil, <laughs> Elektra, Ghost Rider 1 and 2, uh, Fantastic Four 1. P- they made these because people gave them their money back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, I'm train wrecking it till the end of the season, but we'll make it a because Megan's ready to, I think, to cut it too. She's, we're just ready for it to be. If this was like the eighties and I actually had to program the VCR on a weekly, (laughs) this would be gone, but it's set. So I just kind of think about it. It's like on Monday, I watch it on Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever it is. And I watched it used to be at least we'd get to it. The first couple episodes was the same night, you know, watch it on the DVR just so we could fast forward through the commercials. Now it's like, 
the thirteenth app of Love It or List It this week or Marvel. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get Shield out of the way. And that's what it, that's where I'm at, right? It's like okay, let's just free up the space. Right. <laughs> well, and seeing that's obviously, I mean, again, it's that's what happened with us. It's like we watched the last three episodes. It just built up to the point where we're like, have we gone? What have we gone through already? Okay, well, we're caught up on that. That that that. All right, <laughs> play play the shields. At least if it was bad, we would have given up a long time ago. But there's still like this that's weird it. There's hope. Just there there is hope, and the hope, and I know it's unfounded because Joss only did the pilot. But and the, I know he has nothing to do with the rest of it, but I still hope that there's some part of his dialogue writing will just suddenly rub off on the other two, and the show will become good. It's got some decent pieces there, and they could make a show out of it. This, there is not a happening. groundwork. There's mm-hmm. excellent groundwork. And there's, like, Graviton in the second or third up, whatever that was. And, like, this Asgardian one, if it had just been the Asgard tie-in, mm-hmm. that, that would have been acceptable, even though Peter McNichol, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, he was an excellent, not obvious choice. Because, yeah. of course, you were going to expect all the buff people or the hot chicks that you just saw in both the Thor movies. So there's the fat lawyer from Boston. Well, he's not really fat, but the chubby lawyer from Boston. Okay, you know, irony, we get it. There's the possibility there, you know, they're they're giving us more a little bit than Artifact of the Week, but not much more. But I hope. But the hope is dying on the vine. <laughs> it is, little by little. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Doctor Who 50th, we've watched that. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Go ahead. Are you going to rip it or what? I got nothing to rip. Uh, it's more of the same last five years. The last two and a half minutes made it acceptable. I squeed like a little fangirl. I did. I, I, I um, physically I, my, clapped I, and went, oh. And Megan I, just looked at me because she's like, she just started watching Doctor Who, like this last season. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, oh. I got a lump in my throat <laughs> and I said, they better show his face. You know, it can't just be an over-the-shoulder thing. I said, show his face. <laughs> and, uh, but it's just typical of Moffat and RTD. It's pablum with the police box. <laughs> All right. Well, I enjoyed it more than that. And, of course, the last two minutes, again, I squeed like a little... You know what I liked about it is that they let John Hurt be... And I hope Capaldi becomes. They let John Hurt be the last real doctor. I have seen so much claptrap about these now Eccleston being where the wounds from the time war were still fresh, and these two being the healing doctors, you know, the one who raged and then the one who forgot or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And uh, Hurt was just, what do you mean, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey? <laughs> Do you people always just run around kissing each other? You know, all these just kind of ripping on everything that I've disliked about the new incarnation. And I'm like, I accept that. At least they recognize that they have reached kind of, to my mind, a Doctor Who low of acceptable Doctor behavior. So maybe Capaldi will not only be an older form, but to my mind, a more mature Doctor. That's what I'm hoping. (laughs) And we will find out on the 25th. Yes, we will. Well, maybe. For 30, 40 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Snap judgment. (laughs) Best doctor ever. Just after seeing his eyes in the 50th anniversary special. Uh, BBC said uh, his first scenes are in the bank. He has started filming and his first couple days are done. Nice. Looking forward to it. I should have added that because I went and started watching uh, Thick of It again. Oh. Because there's only like nine (laughs) apps. And it's freaking hilarious. Sons of Anarchy, 
if we weren't recording tonight. In fact, I need you both to get the hell out. All right, see you later. <laughs> Such a good show. Looking forward to that. Last last week's episode was really good. That is one that we don't let back up if we can afford it. <laughs> Usually watch it the next night because we record on Tuesdays. Have you checked out Almost Human at all? Yes, actually. I've been very much enjoying that for the most part. <laughs> there it is. Yep, yep. <laughs> no, no. It's it's a very simple thing. It's excellent light action TV. It's humor. I don't think it's accidental humor. I think they've designed it to be the buddy buddy drama, buddy comedy kind of thing. The buddy cop. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, I mean, it could have been firefighters, whatever. Just the buddy something. But this last app... He said it, and I said, I hope this doesn't turn into friggin' two years of Star Wars references until the next Star Wars movie comes out. <laughs> Have you seen the last up? No. Well, it's not a big spoiler, because I already said it. it's a Star Wars reference. He's having a... It's the typical cop. No, boss, I can't hear you. The phone is... So he hangs up on his boss, who's trying to get him out of the building. And the Dorian says, you hung up on your boss. It was a boring conversation anyway. Star Wars reference, Han Solo in the Death Star. Detention block. I'm like, there better not be now an entire season of Star Wars throwaway one-liners just because it's friggin' J.J. Abrams and the Collective. Other than that, no, I think it's all. It's got a nice Netrunner, Android Mm -hmm. uh, Netrunner feel to it. Yeah, I've I've been enjoying it. Megan has too. So she's we watched. I think is it three episodes out right now? Something like that. Yeah. So we watched all three back to back. The pilot, the sex bots, and. Terrorist uh, in the tower. Terrorist, yeah. yeah. So we watched all three back to back in in one night. That had been building up. We hadn't started it yet, so we watched all. And like after almost after every episode, she's like, "I really like this. I like this is good." So and again, it, it depending on how you feel, because it is the buddy. Co- I mean, there are it's it's not just anything. They are taking some of the buddy cop cliches, but I'm enjoying it, and I like. I like the feel. I like the tech too that they're showing off. You know, the spray the face for the the glitter so mm-hmm. the, the the cams can't see them and stuff like that, and the DNA bombs and all of those kind of things. I'm enjoying that side of it, and I think, like you said, the comedy is intentional and it's decent. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's not like oh, why did you? Just it's do different that? than Carl Urban as Bones or Carl Urban yeah. as the dude from Red. Or it's just a different because Carl Urban has always been dread just mm-hmm. sometimes without the helmet you know he's always been that guy with the chin and this is that guy with the chin but he's got to rub olive oil on his squeaky, squeaky <laughs> knee you know that's so yeah I've, I've been enjoying that the only thing that i did I, I didn't dislike it but in the pilot it was like reference to every great sci-fi movie or tv show ever there was like blade runner and galactica and star wars and star trek and like every look because it's carl urban you know it's just like everything there was a reference to something else and i'm like well if you do this for the entire season it's gonna get old but they haven't they've toned down their universe to to what it's gonna be i think yeah raising hope is on again love that comedy and uh, i told you this but the ground floor sucks don't watch it don't do it worst show ever we had like three or four of these backed up uh it was one megan wanted to check out we did not get to first commercial break before deleting them all we didn't get maybe five minutes into the show before deleting them all horrible horrible show and you say i'm horrible no it was (laughs) it was that easy to tell i i I told you i walked out of the room and walked back in i was like is this going to get good at any point? And he's like, oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> that's what I think, too. And then I sat down, and, I, again, maybe two more minutes, and she's like, nope, nope, can't do it. 
they all went like, oh, thank you. Oh, let's, now, now let's cleanse the palate. Speaking of cleanse the palate. High School of the Dead. <laughs> Drifters of the Dead. Oh, you watched that? I did watch it. It's still on my shelf. <laughs> 16 minutes of how much fan service can we cram into letting you know a season two is coming. <laughs> but you got to love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, over at Jordan's now. He's next up. Speaking of Blu-ray? Yes. Yeah. Watched uh, Superman Unbound, or as I like to call it, Brainiac's Tentacle Porn Palace. It was the first time in a long time I have not enjoyed a DC animation. I didn't. Hmm. Have you seen that one? No. I just didn't care for it that much. But it's yeah. I mean, and it had some. I mean, John Noble was Brainiac's voice, and I mean, it had some good people in it. But just it's like slipped. This is one you slipped on. Uh, there were tentacles. Well, there, but there were tentacles. Lots and lots of tentacles. You would think Brainiac was Doc Ock at some points. Brainiac. Yeah. And then going into movies, uh, we rewatched Hunger Games because we went and saw Hunger Games Catching Fire. Hunger Games, still not a great movie. It's an okay movie. But Catching Fire, far superior. Love that movie. That was a, that was a really good one. I was glad we went and seen that, even though we went opening weekend, which sucked. Finally saw Thor of the Dark World. I enjoyed that one a lot more than the first one as well, but we did not rewatch Thor. Watch Grabbers because that is what we're going to review on the next Two Bald Geeks. So I'll be watching that one again at least once because I think we record next week. And I watched The Purge. Uh, yeah, Sarah just watched that. It was all right. It irritated me. It irritated the hell out of me. You know what? Here's the deal. Here's what here's what irritated me about that movie. If somebody's invaded your house and they've come at you with automatic weapons and whatnot and you kill one of them, start collecting freaking weapons. Don't just leave them with the body when there are multiple other people in the house that are trying to kill you. Oh, that pissed me off. It's like, gun, 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 you, gun. So he leaves like five guns just laying around. Crap, what am I doing now? I don't have anything. You could have had five guns. <laughs> oh. He accused Ethan Hawke of being stupid. Just pissed me off. That level of stupidity. Let's see, we watched Red 2. It was okay. It was fun. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't bad at all. It was, it was a good comedy. And I watched Cole Prey 2, and I watched this at like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Not the time to have to read subtitles in your horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I watched. What you got? All right. Uh, I watched a couple of things this last couple of weeks, starting with my online watching Mobile Suit Gundam AGE on YouTube. It was put online at least a year ago by uh, the Gundam people in Japan. It was recently opened up to the worldwide audience. It has a really cool structure to the series it's around 50 episodes like almost all gundam tv series are it's divided into four sections and takes place over something like 70 years where each one is a uh, the story of one generation of this family going through this war it's kind of a cool concept it had some parts especially the, the the first age that really didn't click well with me and i thought it was just kind of poor writing in general but some of the other parts are good and the, like i said the structure was really interesting so a new gundam series not part of the original gundam universe uh, uh, kind of interesting I watched the short-form series Yashimi Bai, Japanese Ghost Stories. Short-form being two and a half minutes, I think these episodes were. Thirteen episodes long. has a kind of unique art style. More like just kind of uh, stick figures. Well, not stick figures, but cutouts move across a flat background sort of look to it. Which, it's, it's meant to be kind of a, based on old Japanese storytelling picture stories. And it also really worked with what they were doing with it, the show amazingly. And it's, it's a very, very creepy show. I watched it late at night. And with this kind of weird art style, it really allows the, the mind to, 
to go wild with with it. And yeah, really creepy stuff. I watched the first half of Pastel Yumi, one of the failures on Anime Souls. Only the first half because that's all they'll ever put up now that it failed. <laughs> Yay, guys. <laughs> it's a magical girl show in kind of the magical girl turns into a singer genre without the singer part of it. Just kind of her... Jim and the holograms. Living her life and casting magic and causing trouble. With laryngitis, since you said not without the singer? <laughs> well, there's a whole subgenre where they use their powers to turn themselves into idol singers. Mm-hmm. And it was like that, except for didn't have the idol sing part. It was just her. I am currently watching Valkyria Chronicles on Crackle.com. I've never watched something on Crackle before. This is the only show I know of, that anime show that they got. I've never watched nothing on Crackle before. Yeah. <laughs> only when sh- I know of that they got exclusively to themselves, and they only have it till the end of the year, according to their site. Based on the PlayStation tactical game that takes place in an alternate Earth, alternate World War II so far, it's been a pretty decent kind of war-type sh- series, dealing with a small squad in this war with a tactical genius as a leader. It's, they're part of the militia, not the regular army, so there's a lot of politics and not liked by the aristocrats and the regular army and stuff like that. Bastard. Yeah, they kind of are, actually. It's it's okay so far. I'm only halfway through. On uh, Blu-ray from Funimation, I watched all of Eureka 7 AO, or else, else Astral Ocean. The AO is either the name of the main character or Astral Ocean. Uh, it's follow-up to the original Eureka 7 from a few years back by Studio Bones, 50-some episodes. This is a 26-episode one as a follow-up. And anyone who's seen the, the original series would be confused, like I would at the beginning of Astral Ocean, when it takes place on modern-day Earth, or near future, I think 2025, which, if you've seen the original series, has that makes no sense at all. And why does the main character look like the son of the two leads from the first? Why is he on Earth? And So the first half of it was very confusing. Second half, when they started explaining things, it made more sense to me, but it never really pulled itself together, in my opinion. I never really latched on to any of the characters, which is kind of a problem I have with a lot of Bone series in general. It, it was okay, but not something that was like, like a must-watch if you liked the first season. Watched uh, the second season of Hero no Kakera. Hero no Kakera is a reverse harem show. Reverse harems being a one girl surrounded by lots of hot guys who like to help her out with stuff. Sword fight! In this particular one, she in modern-day world, she turns out to be the... Uh, granddaughter of the Tamayori princess, so she's the next one in line for that, of sealing some ancient weapon. And the hot guys are have, like, spirits in them that they're supposed to protect her. The kind of interesting thing about this one is that this particular genre tends to be very romantic without any real romance. The guys are all kind of very romantic around her, but no actual relationship, because they don't want to, you know, lock down one of them so you, your favorite one doesn't get with the girl sort of thing. Well, this, this second season actually did just pick one guy, and it was really the romance between the two of them. And I gave props to uh, Sentai Filmworks for their dub with the two leads uh, were a husband and wife couple in real life, as long as, as well as being really good actors. So that was kind of nice. It was okay. Watched the third volume on DVD of Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn, another recent Gundam series. This one in the original Gundam universe. This is one that was done a couple years ago, was being released by Bandai. Then Bandai went under and was recently picked up by Nozomi to finish being released. I think it's probably a good show. But having been a couple years since I saw a volume, and with all the characters and all the factions and all the politics going on, I just had no clue what was going on. It's like, well, it's kind of neat, but man, I just don't remember even the main characters. I started watching Natsumi's Book of Friends from NAS America, a series about boy in modern day world who can see spirits, Japanese spirit, uh, their whole mythology of spooks and whatnot. And he gets his grandmother's Book of Friends, which is a book f- with a whole bunch of names of these creatures, which gives him power over them. And he takes it upon himself to return their names, to find them and return their names. But it's kind of in that genre of the really laid-back show. 
it's not like your monster of the week sort of thing, but it's more kind of his slice of life and dealing with issues and kind of dealing and meeting with these strange spirits of different sorts. I've only started watching it. It's got me interested so far. This last weekend, I, over uh, Thanksgiving, I watched Nakaimo, My Little Sister is Among Them, a 12 plus one series episode series from Sentai Filmworks. It's in the regular harem genre, the guy surrounded by lots of pretty girls, uh, with a particular twist in this one of one of the little girls might be his long lost little sister, hmm. which s- sounds bad. And nah. what makes it work is that the main character thinks the same way. He's kind of freaked out by that. So much of the show is like kind of keep the distance because, you know, one of them might be the sister and a lot of it trying to figure out who the sister is. That made it work and it was okay. From Funimation, Mock and Key, which is another harem show. With uh, hmm. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> That's kind of a popular is it, thing. Is it, is it winter? Is it cold, lonely nights at Don's house? What, what's going on? Uh, I mentioned this is a very popular genre right now. It is. Very. This one is very much a fan service show. Hopefully Gr- with Gr- no Gr- undertones of incest, though. <laughs> Not in this one. We got to get you an OkCupid okay profile. <laughs> this is a young man who decides to go to high school because it just turned co-ed, so it's going to have lots of hot girls. I can understand that. And immediately a bunch of them start hanging all over him. You know, very big-breasted ones and whatnot. But the odd thing about this high school We're is... In. Well, the problem with this high school is that it's actually about fighting and getting these magic weapons and beating the crap out of each other. What is this called? Mock and Key. Battling Venus, I think, is a subtitle. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, because there's other ones like it, maybe. Yeah, could be. So, is one of the voices the dude that that did the tech guy on Stein's Gate? Oh, boy. It might have been. I don't... Th- uh, depends. On, it wasn't the main character, for sure. Wasn't either any of the main characters. Okay, thinking. then no, it's not. Nah, it might be a different one. Apparently, yeah. there's a lot of them. <laughs> um, there are. It's a very popular genre right now, Jordan. And this one actually mixes. This one mix, mixes the genre of the harem genre plus the hot girls beating the crap out of each other's genre, which is actually very popular as well. Except this is for a fun fan service show with chicks beating each other up. It has very little uh, chicks beating each other up or fun, really. Uh, <laughs> it's really just about the fan service. It's got the. You know, it's 13 episodes. It's got the uh, school pool episode and the uh, hot springs episode. <laughs> and the beach episode. Oh, wait. They don't have enough money to go to the beach, so first they have to work in a maid cafe. That's Cat maids? Yeah, they actually had cat ears. And awesome. it, it was like, wow, really? Just every level of that. And that's really all the show was about. So to me, it was like, okay, it's you need a little bit more to your show than just that. <laughs> you can disagree with me. It's fine. <laughs> the problem is there's, there's series that are good anyway. And that's, that just wasn't one of them. I watched the Elfin Lead OVA. Um, a few of these series from a, a few years back actually got extra episode, like one extra episode done that was never released here. That now that they're being repackaged and re-released, they're adding on that extra OAV episode, which means I got to buy the whole stupid series over again just to yeah, get that one episode. I'm not doing that. I've done that a few <laughs> times now. Uh, this one, at least I got to upgrade to Blu-ray. which is, With two extra minutes. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, like 18 minutes. Yeah. All right. Bad enough I bought the 16 minutes to just hear about season two of high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, at least that one was cheap. Yeah. This wasn't, you know, I have to pay $50 or $60 for a, a set just to see one episode, which I've done like four times now. They actually went back and dubbed this one, which really surprised me. It was just an okay little extra episode. It was nothing special. And had a great day this last weekend watching Sword Art Online, all of it. So it is both parts of season two, or were you watching it subbed? I watched it all dub. I got the okay. I got the Blu-ray. No, so, I got the DVD. So both parts are 
Oh no. Yes. Okay. Yes, and I just love it. You are you're right. It, it's fantastic. That first half is just amazing. The sociology of it. Any sociologist on the planet would give their left big toe mm-hmm. to study this world. Yeah. I just and, and the show doesn't shy away from that at all. It delves right into that, and it's uh, fantastic. Now the second half is a very different story. Does it stay out in the world as it implies at the end of the first season? More so. Mm-hmm. It goes into a different online world. But it's, they're not trapped in it. It's a different. It's a very different story, and it lost some of the aspects that I really loved about the first season. But it's good in its own right. So, uh, fantastic series. I highly recommend it. And then the best thing I watched in the last couple of weeks was the movie Wolf Children. It's the latest by Mamoru Hosoda. He's the director of uh, The Girl Who Left Through Time and Summer Wars. Both movies completely blew me away when I saw them. And so I kind of went into this one thinking, yeah, it's got some awards. It's got one of my favorite directors behind it. It's going to be good. It still completely blew me away. It's about uh, a young girl going to college who meets kind of a scruffy but handsome guy, gets to know him. When they start getting together, he reveals that he's actually a wolf or like part wolf. He's kind of like a werewolf. He can, he can switch back and forth between wolf and kind of halfway in between or whatever. But she loves him anyway. And shortly after they have their second kid, he dies. And now this woman raising a toddler and a baby who like transform back and forth in human the wolf has to try to raise them on her own. And it's a powerful personal story of this mother trying her best to, to raise these very unique children that she can't just bring to a hospital, for example, when they get sick and uh, try to keep them out of prying eyes and try to teach them things that humans can't teach kids, you know, as wolves, uh, a fantastic story. Really loved it. Best thing I watched. <laughs> What we're reading slash listening to. When last we spoke, I mentioned I was totally disgusted with Mirror Dance, the latest Miles Verkosgan book that I'm reading. It improved. It improved drastically. It, it went from a one-star rating to a three-star rating on Goodreads. The first Just th- by adding the words, the end. <laughs> <laughs> she went with Redemption but in a totally different way than I was expecting for the clone. Uh, it, was, it turned out to be a very good book, and I'm glad I didn't give up on it. I'm now reading Mimic, the second book in the Identity Trilogy. This is one of the Android Netrunner, mm-hmm. uh, or Android Universe books. It takes place just a couple months after the first book, and it continues to grow some of the storylines that were, were laid down in the first book, and it's it's fairly seamless. I don't know if the dude just wrote both books at the same time and just broke them up. It just picks up and goes. There's not a lot of uh, not a lot of drop off there. I'm listening to Steelheart. Uh, this is by Brandon Sanderson, who I've waxed rhapsodic about previously. Hmm. I don't know what to say about this. His formula's kind of getting a little bit old, but it's um, superhero-y now instead of magic. Like this is a dude that did uh, Mistborn. I really like Mistborn, and this is. Sadly, very much the same premise. It's for the most part taking part, taking place after the event that caused superpowers to come into the world. All the supers, they call them epics, are villains, though. There are no superheroes. Anybody with a power is evil. Well, that sucks. Yeah, it does. It does. It starts the, your, your first introduction to an epic is a guy called Death Finger, I think. And whatever he points at, that is living tissue, just disintegrates. So points at you, and you're just a pile of bones. And he's holding a bank hostage, and he's saying, I'm not going to rob the bank, because I can get whatever I want just by pointing at you. So my purpose here today is to just indicate 
that there is no point in defying me. So he's just disintegrating people, but he's not going to rob the bank. He's just making a show of power. Well, then the bigger bad shows up, Steelheart, and he says, no, 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 Chicago, this is my town. And Steelheart's thing is he's totally invulnerable. Can't be shot, can't be stabbed, can't be poisoned. He's got all these powers. He is invulnerable. Main character's dad picks up one of the security guard's guns, and he's trying to shoot Death Touch because Death Touch was going to try to kill Steelheart. And he accidentally draws blood from Steelheart, showing somehow that he is not really invulnerable. So Steelheart can't let this go, and he destroys Chicago. (laughs) One of his powers is anything that's non-organic that his powers touch, this particular power set touches, turns into steel. So he just, like, glass steals all of downtown Chicago, and then just has one of his henchmen just drive buildings into the ground. And so the, and then it, it jumps forward 10 years into the new United States. I don't know if he says it's global. He's just talking about the United States. So, and now we get back to kind of the whole Mistborn thing here. The young hero, out of their depth, the strange powers, the established villain who is undefeatable, except, of course... The young hero has the plan. All very much the same formula that was in Mistborn. So that's kind of disappointing. But superheroes, or supervillains anyways, and, uh, you know, it's acceptable. And he's doing, I don't know if it's irritating or cute. He's throwing in comic creator references. The one kid lives on Kirby Way. They've been on Siegel Boulevard and Schuster Street and that kind of stuff. So, like, oh, we get it. Move along. <laughs> but I'm going to give it a shot because... Uh, I like you got Mistborn. nothing else to crap. You know, on right now. <laughs> well, I'll give you a chance. So I can find something. Uh, I like Mistborn, and it looks like it's going to be essentially the same story. Hopefully, I'm wrong about the liking part or the similarity. Part. That uh, hopefully it'll be a sufficiently different story. And I'm just trying to keep him fresh in my mind because uh, the next Stormlight Saga book comes out next spring. So looking forward to that. I finished Caliban's War. James S. A. Corey talked about that last time too. This was a really great finish. Uh, right at the end. He gave a twist that I thought he would save for the third book, but he worked it into the end of the second book. Not going to spoil it for you. He's dead. <laughs> uh, this was an excellent book and an excellent continuation to Leviathan Wakes. I believe the third book is out, so hopefully I will be able to uh, get that and give that a listen to sometime soon. James S.A. Corey, like I said, uh, it's his Expanse universe. The first one was Leviathan's Wake. This one's Caliban's War. On the comic side, second issue of Letter 44 came out. It was good. It was a good continuation from the first app. It focused all on the crew, and they're getting through the barrier that the uh, the aliens had set up. We don't see, we probably don't see anything about the aliens. <laughs> There's one little scene about whether the dude saw an alien or he just had a space psychosis moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've been reading a couple of the uh, Forever Evil tie-ins. Arkham War, which is uh, villains, obviously, in Gotham, dealing with the fallout of being tasked with running Gotham for the crime syndicate. And then Rogue's Rebellion, which is the Flash's rogues, having been tasked with going to see to the destruction of Central City. And both stories take different tacks. Arkham, all those villains, are quite happy to divvy up Gotham and rain terror and destruction on everybody. Bane's coming in, and he want, he he doesn't care about the CSA and their plans for Gotham. He wants Gotham all to himself. But then you got the Penguin and Man-Bat. And Man-Bat had some really good lines. Man-Bat is just one of the stupidest characters <laughs> in the Batman pantheon. But in this, he was sufficiently sinister to be enjoyable. 
then you got the penguin playing both sides, you know, the rest of the bat villains and then Bane and Scarecrow, they're all in there and they've all got a few panels each book and it's really enjoyable, especially since I'm not a big bat fan, but bat's not in here. It's just the villains. Whereas over on the Rogue's Rebellion, they get sent to Central City to finish the destruction there and they decide they're not going to do that. They get there and they see that hospitals have been mostly destroyed. Buildings are torn down. It's devastation beyond anything that they've ever wanted to do. And Captain Cold at one point is like, yeah, we're the bad guys, but we don't do that. <laughs> we just want we just want the money. You know, that that's all we want. We don't want to do that. And there's a really great scene where they get to a park and all the police force is just tied up to trees. Some are dead, some are not. So he lets them go. And the captain's like, oh, you villains. Oh, but you let us go. Oh, but you villains. <laughs> and, you know, and it's good. And whereas you need to read the Avengers to get the full story in Infinity, here they address things that happen in Forever Evil. But if you're not reading these, it doesn't impact Forever Evil. Deathstorm is a major player from the CSA universe. And he's the evil Firestorm. And he's looking at the, the rogues. And, like, Cold doesn't have a gun. Cold's powers are in his genetics. That's the new 52 Cold. And he says, I can see all your DNA. Your fire, it doesn't really matter because I can transmute it to air. The, fo- the, the fog you're making, I can turn that into acid. So that's really not a good plan for you to be doing. And then he looks at Cold and he says, and your powers. And there's this little scene where a DNA helix is coming out of his mouth. And he strips Cold of all his powers and you saw this in Forever Evil, and Forever Evil uh, and Cold goes and joins Luther and Luther's new Legion of Doom. So they, this is where issue two picks up, and then it continues. They're all working together. They get away from Deathstorm and, and, and Power Ring, and they're trying to get somewhere, anywhere, <laughs> away from Deathstorm and Power Ring to regroup because something's happened. Fires, uh, Deathstorm's futzed up all their powers, and it ends with them, with Mirror Master bouncing them, and his powers are screwed up, so they don't know where he's going to land. They're trying to stay in Central City, and he ends up, they end up in Gotham. Uh, so I don't know if there's going to be an Arkham War crossover in the crossovers. But uh, the last panel is them landing in Gotham and being confronted by Poison Ivy. So these are two really excellent crossovers. They're telling good stories that are impacted by Forever Evil, but are by no means uh, required reading. But they're very good, especially Rogues. All right. Don, you got anything for this segment? I finished reading Boogie Pop at Dawn, which is, I think, the fourth Boogie Pop uh, novel translated into English, and the last one, unfortunately. And I liked it a lot. I liked it probably as much as I liked the first Boogie Pop novel. So I'm really sad that I'm not going to get to read the rest of them. Why aren't they going to be translated? Well, not selling enough, I assume. Oh. Stuff I've caught up on, and by caught up on means I'm a month behind at least, but... Uh... Things that had uh, issues drop again. Fanboys versus zombies. Yes, I'm still reading it. Still enjoying it. Pathfinder. Did you have you read the next Pathfinder yet? At right after Black Fang. Uh, I don't think so. I think last one I read the reveal was who the spy in the village was. Okay. Yeah, I, it's. I read this one. It's the one right after after the Black Fang one, and they kind of get the boot from the town. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm up to. Yeah. yeah. Because so, they show, they tell you which council member is actually working right. for. Uh, well, that that's the Black Fang one, right? And oh, then, that is the end the of the Black Fang. The next one is. Did you see where like they get asked to go? To yeah, do it? their tab isn't getting covered anymore. Right. And, well, they, and they get they get asked to do a job. Like they're all trying to figure out what to do, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, this council member wants you to do a job for them. 
but they want you to meet them over here. You read that one? No, I guess okay. I'm not there yet. That's that's the next one, which was good, but it kind of sucks for me because again, the Pathfinder ones usually take like two months to drop. So now I've got like two months to wait till I can figure out what's going to go on in the after the end of this issue. Uh, but it was a good issue. I enjoyed it. And Saga caught up on Saga. Still really enjoying that. So those are three that I definitely uh, consistently get. I did finish the sword. Mm. Uh, that was good. That was a really good read. I read through all of that pretty pretty quickly. Uh, so that was one that Jordan recommended to me for a while ago for another one for the Luna Brothers. Uh, so that was pretty decent. I haven't read a lot of the expatriates because of all this other stuff. So I'm still not far enough to give any kind of uh, an opinion on that yet. But the one I told you I wanted to kind of talk about that I forgot last time, I read through and I'm caught up and waiting for the next issue to drop. <laughs> but this is another one that I've added to my uh, must-read as they kind of come out list. But Bedlam, told you about that one. It's uh, I still forgot. I don't know who, who does it. It's not one of the big ones. I know that. But it's it's a really interesting story that I'm really enjoying. And it's basically this universe's Joker. So the insane serial killing supervillain can't remember if he if he was he faked his death or but basically he he just like one big thing and he, i think his name is matter red is his name and uh one big theatrical deal one last uh standoff with his you know arch nemesis and somewhere in there he they think he died but really he's whisked off somewhere and is getting treatment and recovering and you get flashbacks of that throughout the series of what he went through to recover and again that's a lot of air quotes there people but he's released out into you know the wild he's back in civilization as a normal human being and they basically like set him up this is your apartment this is what you get you know that kind of thing and he's trying to be you know normal but he's always got that you know like sees himself in the mask and the TV, you know, that kind of thing. So where he's, he's trying because of the treatments he went through, but he's just not quite right. He's not quite there. He's not socially in tune. So he's very socially awkward. Oh, so he's a gamer. Yes. And uh, so he, there's a new serial killer that the police are tracking down. And of course he starts seeing this on the news and stuff. And he just like immediately starts doing things like picking up the phone and calling. He's like, well, you're, you're doing this all wrong. And you know, it's just like, this is what you're not noticing this and this, and this is wrong. And eventually he actually gets, I think he makes himself get arrested so he can see the cop in charge of the investigation. One of the last things that happens is like right in front of his apartment building and he gets himself arrested so he can go talk to her. And of course he's spewing out all this stuff that like nobody else can know. So of course they're like, no, well, you're obviously doing this. It's that whole track where he's trying to find a way to make himself useful, but can you really trust him? And when is he going to snap and all that? So, so it's, it's just a really interesting story that I'm kind of enjoying right now. So that's Bedlam. And I started Preacher, gone to Texas, the trade that you gave me. A little over halfway through that. So far, I, I don't see the qualm with AMC doing anything with it so far. So oh, apparently I'm no, not there wait, yet. Wait for it. <laughs> because uh, the only thing that I could maybe see partially up in the air right now is just dealing with the whole theology side of it. That's the least. Of I know. It. No, I know that. But I mean, as far as what I've read so far, just that part, the theology side of things. Uh, it ramps. Yeah. I, Even I, if I don't give you the fourth trade, which is just a bunch of standalone stories that have very little to do with him, mm-hmm. which 
would make good kind of standalone series, especially Saint of Killers. But the, the other stuff, it, it ramps. Yeah. 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 So I'm a little over halfway through and so far nothing I see AMC will have a problem with so far, <laughs> but I'm not done. Uh, and of course, chapter 40 of We're Alive. I'm assuming you. I have not. Oh, you haven't? Okay. I've been crazy busy. It, it popped up on my iTunes on Monday. Spoiler, Datu cries. What a surprise. I'm telling you. <laughs> and today I was just running it out of the house all day. So yeah. tomorrow, that is on my plan to listen to tomorrow. Yeah, I, I listened to it the other day. It was pretty good, of course. So uh, again, supposed to be the last season, people. If you're not listening to this, you should be listening to We're Alive. It is an extremely fun power listen. Because that's how both, uh, all three of us really, Michael did it. And then when he introduced it to us, you and I power listened to it. And you just get to the point where you're like, crap, I'm caught up. Now I have to listen to him one at a time. And of course, Jordan and I wait until the entire chapter comes out because it usually comes out in three parts. And so that's, it's usually two weeks between chapters and then a week between part of a chapter. So we've got to wait like five weeks before we actually listen. But it's worth it. And this is supposed to be the last season. What we're playing. Don, what have you been playing lately? Haven't been playing a lot of games. Played some Zombie Side with some of the new expansion stuff. Played a little Zulkin, some Lost Legends, but not too much. Just uh, some with the family over Thanksgiving. On the uh, video game side of it, playing Torchlight 2 and stuff with my friends Sunday nights. But by myself, I've been playing Dragon Age 2. Working my way through that. I got to go back to that sometime. I just stopped. It's just, a decent game. <laughs> just don't expect it to be a sequel to Dragon Age right. Origins, which is you kind of would given the name of it. But right. no, I play. I played through some of it, but I don't know what it was. It was just like I walked away and never looked back. Where where the first one is like, oh my god, I got to I got to. It, it missed this. a lot of the stuff that made the first one good. Yeah, it's, it's still a decent game. It's been enjoyable. Got in some unexpected hero clicks over the weekend. Being Thanksgiving, there wasn't anything planned, and then something came up short notice, and that was a fun couple battle royal type things. Played a game of Tentacle Bento, where I got doubled up 30 to 15. That was embarrassing. <laughs> but then I totally, totally dominated my opponent <laughs> at Netrunner. In fact, winning one game in one and a half turns. Yeah, he played, that was horrible. He played so poorly that, that game. So <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Statistically, you made all the right moves. Sadly, I blew the statistics away. That was such a wrong game. (laughs) Oh, my God. First turn, seems safe. You can live with two tags for one round, especially if the corp has just done nothing except put out one piece of ice. And I've wiped your money. (laughs) Yeah, I'm down to one credit. And I, he, I I put out one piece of ice, not even anything behind it, just laying out a piece of ice. And he doesn't run at my my hand or my R and D. He just screws my money. I'm like, uh, well, okay, I've got one. Yeah, screwed your money, ramped up my money, but took two tags in the, in the process, and it's just like, well, at best, I could get rid of one tag. So I'll wait next round. I'll just get a little more money and wait next round. Drop off the two tags. Statistically, statistically, it was an excellent plan. Even if I'd been playing Jinteki, there's only a three in 45 chance that card would come up. You had no reason to think <laughs> it would show up in an NBN deck because it's an expensive splash. But I drew Scorched Earth, which says if you've got a tag, you do four meat damage to the runner. And he had two tags. Two cards and, and I had two cards in my hand. Two car- two tags and not enough cards to absorb. So if you take damage, you discard from your hand. And if you don't have enough cards in your hand to take the damage, you're dead. See, oh. I, and again, I would have taken that either way because it's just if your opponent's tagged, yep. you take four. 
So I, at best, by the time I took the two tags, I could only get rid of one. So I was just trying to get rid of two of them the next round. No, but, so I just watched horrible. His, I just watched his turn go by, and I was trying not to smile. I was like, perfect storm. Oh, I had this nice pile of money sitting there and everything. <laughs> oh, you suck so bad. So bad. Yes, it doesn't matter. Uh, the second game was, game was closer. That was a good game. It was. That was a good game. That was seven to six. That was a flip of a coin yeah. at that point. Either one of us would have taken that one. And uh, other than that, I haven't been doing much on the consoles or the or the PCs. So here's a question for all our listener: looking for a good. Uh, <laughs> I got that. I got. That. <laughs> looking for a good RPG that is not Dragon Age, <laughs> just something because I'm in the mood for an RPG and everything that I look at, I've either played and didn't like or played and completed. So give me something. Just give me some some suggestions. Console, PS3, or Xbox 360. I have not made that leap yet. That's <laughs> that'll be my question for next year at this time. <laughs> Do you play the Witcher stuff at all? I have not. You should play the Witcher stuff. Do you have the Witcher stuff? I have the Witcher on uh, the the one that they released for the Xbox. I haven't played that one yet, and I have it on my PC. No, oh. uh, but that's a great RPG. Instant gratification. <laughs> it's that is a great great. Have you ever played The Witcher? I have not. I'm interested now. Oh, that's that's a great. It's one of those. The thing that sucked about it when it first came out is it was horrible. Like system wise, it was horrible. It was just like, but they patched it and then they gave additional stuff. But it's it's one of those you know decisions matter and you know you're you're the Witcher uh, kind of like the Grey Wardeny type. You're you're. Uh, uh, like a supernatural type hunter and you can decide how you're going to fight. You can be, you know, all swords and brawn and you can do potions and that kind of stuff. And it's got the, uh, who are you going to bed mechanic kind of thing along the way and stuff too. So, but it's the decisions matter choices, that kind of thing. It's, it's a really good series. I, I actually look for, I, I want to go back and finish the PC one. And I was hoping they were going to port that one to console, but they just, and I've got, uh, the second one for my PC and the console version, I think. So it, I definitely would recommend that if you've never tried it out, at least give it a shot. Especially well, the can I borrow the console version? Sure. I think it's still in wrap. Uh, it's the second I one. mean, I'll unwrap it. Yeah. But I, like, I think, no, <laughs> no you're not but, allowed. No, new. No. <laughs> but you can actually, like, at Target, you can get the first one for the PC in one of those little, like, for like the 10 buck deals, the, the enhanced version of the first one. Yeah, I just got a low powered. Laptop. That's why I do yeah. stuff on the console, or that's why I bought consoles because I got tired of getting, <laughs> of being on the gamer rig, yeah. merry-go-round. What will I replace this year? Yeah, I, I'm not going to get to it anytime soon, so I can fish it out. And... All right, I'll redeem all the codes, and then you won't be using yeah, them. You there you go. <laughs> I'll keep the codes. <laughs> oh no, it's sealed. You said. Well, I can open it before you take it. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, over uh, Thanksgiving, when we were home. We played Escape: The Curse of the Temple. Three four times that went over really well. Uh, we and played, I beg to differ. You can take pictures there, not while playing it. <laughs> no, you get hurt. Stop okay. taking your pictures. Give me a gold <laughs> die. Exactly. We're all locked. We're all locked. Hold on. Wait a minute. Smile. <laughs> oh, oh, smiling. the sound. Oh, the sound done. That's that was that was unfortunate. Smile again. <laughs> Show everybody we lost. <laughs> Uh, we played Roll for It, which was a great game that went over well with the kids too. That was a lot of fun, and of course, uh, when the kids mostly weren't around, we kept having to whisper and say, "You guys should go back downstairs," because we played Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> uh, it was the first time for almost everybody. 
So everybody had a great time. Actually, we played an extended version of Cards Against Humanity because we got to the end and we're like, eh, let's keep going. Best out of ten. <laughs> so that one went over really well as well. As well. Of course, we played Netrunner, Tentacle Bento. I haven't done a lot on the console, mostly because I don't get to see the console. Although now that uh, she's done with Assassin's Creed 4. Done with Black Flag, you can have well, controller she, back. Yeah, well, she's doing, uh, you know, she's still kind of just exploring. Mm. But she's done with the main story. Uh, so she's trying to get to 100% right now. But I still, I've, I just kind of been putzing around with Dead Rising 2 Case West, which is, again, is not the Dead Rising 2 main game, which I do have, but this was the DLC, the down, or the downloadable standalone little game they kind of put out. So I've been putzing around with that, just killing zombies. And so that's it's always uh, a worthwhile hobby. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's fun because it, have, you actually, you've never played any of the Dead Rising stuff, have you? Right. That's what it, it's kind of cool. And again, it's, but I, it, it's similar to, well, I know it came first, but it's like the same concept as Dead Island, only you're in like the mall, right? And you build all your weapons and stuff. Well, the, the first one you're in the mall. Yeah. yeah. And the second one you're elsewhere, but it's more over the top mm. than, I mean, you know, Dead Island has got like a serious story kind of to it, and, and twice, yeah, the same story, <laughs> the same story, <laughs> and and the the weapons are a little more conservative. Uh, where this is just like like I, what was it a cement a cement saw and plates, and all of a sudden I've got a plate shooter that like decapitates zombies and in a straight line and that kind of stuff. And like in the mall one, uh, you could go into like the toy store and get one of those like like Lego heads or whatever, and you can actually put it on a zombie so they can't bite you. <laughs> and they're walking around with the Lego head. So it's 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 just the, the the one part of it. Like I told you before, is the everything you do in it is kind of timed. In the first one, I think if you complete it. You can kind of go back in, and then it's. I think it's untimed after that. So some of that sucks. So some of them are optional. Some of them aren't. In the one I'm doing, I think all of the time stuff is is not optional. So like I have to do it in that amount of time. But in between there, I just kind of go around. Hey, kill off some stuff. They have like these little like electric, like almost like golf cart things in this one. And it's in a like a big warehouse. So I'll get in that, drive around, just drive over zombies. It's just it's you know. Camp, just quick, dirty fun. But I then I get irritated though if I'm actually trying to complete something and I get killed because it goes all the way back to your last save and it's not an auto save. It, it's an auto save if you do certain things. You know, it's it's one of those things. But there, it's like complete the mission, hmm. auto save. But in order to save, you have to go into the bathrooms. So you have to find the bathroom and go in there and save. So if you don't do that, and all of a sudden you get killed, all of a sudden you it goes back to like oh. Oh, that's awesome. That's back in the main office where I was 30 minutes ago. I'm done. <laughs> no, that's but that's my playing. Well, Don, thanks for coming out again. It's always great to be here. <laughs> hopefully, you have a safe trip home. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, the next one, uh, we'll get you on. It'll be somewhat weather dependent. We're in we're in the goofy time now. Oh, hey, you and I have got a trip coming up not too long in the d- distance. It'll future. be after the next time I'm here. Yeah. Yep. We'll be going to Anime Detour. Mm-hmm. I got my hotel room already. So. Oh, excellent! Yeah, that'll be I a lot tickets, of fun. Yep. Yeah, we got we got tickets. Got all that that going on. Cool. Being going without them. certain Canadians. Going without certain Canadians. I imagine you're going without a lot of Canadians. Because <laughs> you know, I heard there was a ban, which is the biggest reason I want to go. I just <laughs> need to be somewhere where there aren't Canadians for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's a short drive from Winnipeg. I'm sure there's a couple. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up too high. Uh, 
And again, people, uh, the next time we record, which will be December 17th, is when we're actually recording. Uh, that will be our end-of-year wrap-up. So get your feedback to us, podcast at allisgeeks.com or 1952-236-4335 to leave us a voicemail. Don't make Mike feel lonely. We need more people with voicemails. That's <laughs> just a little bit creepy. creepy. I'm, I'm known for my creep. <laughs> Hey, Meow God, too. Hey, how's it going? Another another new uh, listener that's uh, very interactive. So how's it going, Meow God? Thanks for, for hanging out with us on Twitter. The dogs have been let loose. Pack of wolves <laughs> at the door. So. All right, so that'll do it for us. I'm Jeff King. And I'm the Canadian. Thanks for listening. singing trout on the front of them.